This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, an unofficial podcast for Greater Than Games' Spirit Island. Episode 295. A spirit guide to ocean's hungry grasp and a spread of rampant green. Music by Brian Capillus, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I cut myself shaving. (laughs) I Uh, cut myself today. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what that. My chin still bleeds. Yeah, so that might is that what is that? But okay, Um, Johnny Cash. Oh, that's Johnny Cash. Oh, that's cool. So I did (laughs) cut my chin uh, with my with my thingy earlier with With uh, my shaver. You'll have to be yeah. electric shaver what what do you think i could mean by that my thingy all right my trimmer you thingy. cut yourself with an electric shaver that seems a I bit did. more odd to i me. did and i don't know how i'd never done that I you use it like a that. chainsaw through your skin or I I something kind of jab myself with it you know what i mean sometimes you're just like get that hair off my face and you just kind of go Wing, and just, Ring, just get you. <laughs> yeah so it just really got me and uh something embarrassing happened earlier uh-huh. um we were talking yeah. we were preparing the episode uh-huh. and you look at me and i, I was see myself, watching yeah you I were was... looking at me and there was just blood all over my chin <laughs> and I kind of, I could like be, I, I was like, what is going on on my chin Well, right it wasn't really enough, know. it wasn't enough that it was bleeding, but then suddenly you went to scratch your chin and it was like you started finger started painting getting, on your face. I just was getting blood all over me. <laughs> you started putting and, the war paint on before we record. Well, yeah, because it's Spirit Island this yeah, yeah, week, sure, so I kind of okay. want to, I want to feel like I'm ready to ravage, you know? <laughs> I'm ready to defend this land, you know? And I'll do it with my blood. My blood um, on me and yeah. on you. It was disgusting, uh, and uh, or it's not really disgusting. I don't know. I don't find blood. Some people really don't like blood. I, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's great, but uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't get it to stop. It just wouldn't stop. Uh, yeah. So I'm recording today, slightly hindered, uh-huh. because I just put, uh, and this is not the most elegant solution. I just put a band aid on my chin. I got yeah. a bandaided chin. There's nothing uh, like a band aid on a beard, you know. Yeah, it feels there's like a... there's not. It feels like the band aid isn't actually playing a role, except for like just sort not of really. holding the beard down. Not that you're, yours isn't a beard. Of... You have stubble right now, but still. Yeah, I'm stubbled. <laughs> yeah, I like to be stubbled sometimes. I I don't. I'll tell you this: what I don't like to do is actually shave the hair off of my face. That's not something <laughs> that I ever do. I just look. Well, clearly your skin is so sensitive. If you get too close to the root, you just kick. You carve well, right through. <laughs> I'm tell. I mean, if it is it the skin is sensitive or am I clumsy? Which uh-huh. one is more consistent mm-hmm. with what you know about me? There's a brand okay. here. Yeah, we should yeah. probably be fine with that. My yeah. brand is stumbling around and jabbing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's that's my brand. All right, it's not like oh my skin's so sensitive. That's not me. Uh-huh. That's not me. I got I got redneck blood in me. Okay, <laughs> I was raised by the hill folk yeah. by the by hick. Red okay. chin blood, They're, more like it. Yeah, <laughs> we got, we, right. I got tough skin. All right. I mean, it's not because I don't I don't do enough with it. But if uh-huh. I were okay, it would it would become coarse and leathery. Yeah. All hunting, right, hunting blood. I got hunting skin. If I were to do that, you know, <laughs> but I don't. It's it's half nature, half nurture. Right. Uh-huh. I got all the nurture. 
or wait, which is you it? Have Whatever. All the nature. You have I got, all the nature. I have all the nature, but I ain't got no nurture because yeah. I'm just. Uh, I stay. I mean, I play board games. Yep. yep. And video games. Speaking and... of nature, there it is. We oh! found one. Yeah. Hey, look, everybody. Wow, it's that, uh, that was not planned. Yeah. That was. If you can believe <laughs> if you can... it. <laughs> if you can believe it, that was not planned. A beautiful thing. Uh, we're doing Spirit Island again this week. Very excited. We have two more base game spirits to talk about with you today but first we felt like this was an apt place for errata from last time we did a spirit guide so that's confusing right so first off what is errata errata is sort of a like people wrote to us and talked about things we talked about in the episode and had either disagreements or things to add or notes about things we got wrong and usually it's like oh it comes in the next episode obviously i nowadays i've gotten Not better anymore. about like I've, I've gotten better about show notes just telling people like what errata isn't it it used to be you just had to guess and check <laughs> in the in the early days of scpt you just had to find the episode with the errata you were sure. looking for yeah but uh no we we did a spirit guide a few episodes ago uh but we haven't really followed up on it because uh we wanted to save errata for the next time we talked about spirit island people mm-hmm. who are investing in spirit island might listen to these episodes in the future back to back so now is a, a good time to talk before we get into oceans hungry grasp and a spread of rampant green let's talk about maybe some errata from our thunder speaker and vital strength of earth guy oh well we actually so no one gave any errata to matt for thunderspeaker <laughs> everyone agreed matt really nailed it but there was a lot of criticism and a lot of hate for uh. me uh as is tradition okay tradition your um, apparently your metric for criticism and hate is so it's such a low a low barrier to, re- to, oh, to, to I, reach oh uh, there are so many people listening right now they're like if i could just kick hunter off the show then the show would improve tenfold. Uh-huh. Yeah. They think it, sure. Matt. Yeah, they it's, think it. You know, I just they think it, and time. they say it. They say it they all the time. It, they say it out loud, and it's just because we're just. All, I'm just always button heads with them. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. I'm just always button yep. heads. <laughs> um, but uh, this guy, uh, this guy Dredge wrote in, uh, said Hunter's an idiot. Failed yep. again. I saw Got it. it all wrong. Yep. That, these are these are Dredge's words. Okay, <laughs> not my words. Dredge says, you suck, grow up, get a real job. <laughs> That's the errata. So anyways, we'll just, no, anyways, here's, uh, Dredge didn't say anything like that. Dredge was uh, uh, very polite. But uh, so Dredge had some feedback on two of Vital Strength's uh, cards that I uh, uh, undervalued. Uh, so the first card is A Year of Perfect Stillness. Uh, you expressed a lot of dissatisfaction. I actually did i i don't know um <laughs> you expressed a lot of dissatisfaction with this card and mentioned how it was only really good if it could stop more than one invader action in a land each round while that is true it does get more valuable and while it is true that it does get more valuable if that happens i think its value early game was missed the best use of this card is to stop builds not ravages if the land only has one explorer and you use stillness to stop all invader actions, that means no town will be, will be built. Uh, and with only one explorer, you no longer need to worry about defending that land the next round. Using stillness to stop ravages is not great. You are absolutely right. But using it to stop a build can be uh, tremendously powerful. And the reason I feel like I did not uh, talk about this is because your perfect stillness cost three energy. Yeah. So I was not able to invest it yeah. in this way early game but dredge is correct this is the optimal 
uh, way to use a year of per well actually optimal use would be the case I actually did describe in the episode which is uh, multiple actions happening in the same place sure um, but yeah of course if you just have a land with one explorer that's basically you can just ignore that you really can just stop for that a land while. for three turns yeah. yeah yeah you don't really have to do much with that at all that is not an immediate priority so yeah, yeah if you use your I mean I think the ideal situation would be your perfect stillness in one of the lands that's currently going to build and then in the other one uh, you have some presence already set up. Yeah, um, right. in order for it to be uh, defend whenever we actually get to the ravage part yeah. of the action. So entirely agree with Dredge there. What was I thinking? What an idiot I am. <laughs> but three Number bucks, two. Three, three bucks is tough to like, I, I take your point, your, your rebuttal of that too. And, and I think, I think some of our top uh, errata posters for these episodes and pre errata posters, by the way, there's like, there's like four of you that go nuts. Right. And that's always what happens mm -hmm. when we start on one of these new, new games is there's some TI people that are like, really fiending for it and i think something that gets lost in translation is like hunter and i are learning this so we might not get to that utmost optimum path where you have the money for a year of perfect stillness in turn two you know what i mean like and right. I, and and i think that's true for other new players is like if you aren't perfectly optimized like you get later on down the road there are strategies that you don't have access to for a while that's how i have felt we're gonna get into like yeah. this week's episode later but like for me in ocean's hungry grasp a lot of the errata i got or the pre-errata i got was like yeah but i'm not even talking about that yet i'm talking about how do i do how do i do this <laughs> so right. please please let's get to that level before we talk about the like well by turn three you should have 14 dollars and the ability to do this this and this and it's like uh, well i didn't and so what do i do now uh so i i think that's a lot of where my headspace comes with this kind of stuff so dredge is right but also for n brand new players that might not be an accessible pathway yet yeah or may or maybe it is i don't know yeah who yeah. knows i'm i'm just finding this out i'm not the professional here sure. like dredge right. uh <laughs> number two uh, is I'm just kidding, Dredge. By the way, I'm sorry. I, I just want to make it clear. I I am in fact joking around. I, I literally am entering my fifth. What? How long have we been doing this? Year. Very six years of doing this. I I I am used to this. Anyway, number two, guard the healing land. You also express dissatisfaction with guard mainly because uh, it just does the same thing your free passive does, but at the cost of three energy and removing of the blight was so so I actually think i like the removing of the blight part but i think two things were missed with this that should have been expressed for new players more number one you mentioned how making a sacred site is a two-turn process but then missed that the versatility of this card is that it can target any adjacent land to a mm. sacred site mm -hmm. so yes your passive is free but you cannot move it guard lets you respond to a problem land instantly number two it should be mentioned uh, and this is a this is a, a quick ability, so that is correct. Number two, it should be mentioned when an ideal time to play guard is similar to how the ideal time for stillness is to prevent a build. Guard shines best in two situations. Number one, where the defend four is enough to prevent a blight, so a five damage land or an eight damage land with your sacred site because defend stacks uh, additively. Alternatively, guard is really good for being used on six plus damage land that has exactly one blight because even though the defend won't stop the blight removing the blight will stop the cascade keeping the problem uh contained oh that's cute yeah yeah i didn't think of uh, that removing because it's it's happening as before. a quick step yeah, happening yeah, yeah, before course. invader actions so there you go get that blight 
out of there. I just want to reiterate, though, I do think I did like the blight part, mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. I did not mention this specific case scenario. Um, I think for me, in in where I'm at with Vital Strength, uh, is I found the these two cards to be costly when compared to just throwing out my presence in more strategic locations. Because my presence, uh, the presence defend ability is a bit of a freebie. So I mm -hmm. think perhaps the way I outlined playing Vital Strength, uh, which clearly could be wrong, and I'm not joking about that, it could be, yeah. uh, was more interested in how do we get ahead? How do we use our defensive ability as kind of a like, let's hold it together, but then use the other abilities to sort of uh, push the Dahan in strategic ways so as to just start clearing right. the lands. And perhaps that's even something I was able to get away with because of the difficulty level that, mm -hmm. that we play on, which I, I've been playing around level three, which is not expert level. Yeah. This is not, you know, we're not coming to this being like, we already fully understand For sure. uh, this game. We're merely, uh, we're, we're merely dweebs that have shown up to the party and trying to... Uh, spread our knowledge and uh, the things that we're encountering to yeah. our fellow dweebs we we are uh, freshmen writing term papers yeah <laughs> we're writing term papers right now but you got to catch up with us in uh in year three when we do the revised guides you know right the super the super spirit guys super spirit guys that's when we'll yeah. really get it well to that point let's transition into today's actual episode and my spirit for this week was Ocean's Hungry Grasp. And I said it earlier, but I really want to put the emphasis on at least my section that this was this was a tough one. Last week I had it way too easy, or last, last time, not last week, but Thunder Speaker was like a very flexible spirit with lots you could do and a lot of impact felt on the board, not just with yourself, but with your fellow spirits. And uh, I think I was spoiled by that because Ocean's Hungry Grasp, it's a high complexity spirit. And I think Hunter and I have both been kind of like, I don't know what this complexity stuff means. Uh, it's Ocean's Hungry Grasp as hard. It that's this one makes sense. This is a high complexity yeah, yeah, spirit. Yeah, you agree with this. One. And I yeah. agree on all counts in all interpretations of what the complexity could mean. This right. one's complex and tough. And so I really want people to know that I'm coming at this guide from a standpoint of you might be in the same boat I was for a while with the spirit because this one's harder to get your head wrapped around. And I want to focus on that process of even getting to like an understanding of what you're meant to do with this spirit. Because I think, especially it fits in with the spirit, this is a very passive ability spirit. Uh, there's very active things you can do, but there's a they have a passive ability that we'll talk a lot about that just sort of impacts the game by you existing. And so there's a certain level of You've changed the whole game. Now what do you do with that? And you really have to figure out how to answer that question for yourself. Right. Uh, and, and that's the difficulty of it. And so, yeah, I, I really want to express, like, I, I, it took me a number of games before I, like, even knew what I was meant to be doing with this spirit, like, at all. Um, and, and it was tough. Let's talk, though, about how the lore feeds into all of this. Uh, my read on Ocean's Hungry Grasp is, boy, he's mean. He's a mean old ocean. He's so cranky and <laughs> temperamental and slow, sure, 
uh, you know, you, pe- people get cocky when it comes to the ocean because it's it's described as having sort of like the sirens call and stuff. But then the ocean might just decide to swallow you up. But the biggest thing is, ocean is even mean to the Dahan. The 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 the, right. the 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 backstory of this spirit is like the Dahan aren't traders and haven't gone to other places because of ocean's hungry grass keeping them on the island basically so it's like part of the dahan's isolation is because of this spirit that's not great that's pretty mean i would say they like get to do a trading expedition one every few once every few years and they have to like send multiple spirit uh, like uh, people who commune with the spirits and like they send a few because one might die and they need the other to still talk to the ocean because if they're not talking to the ocean, the ocean will definitely kill them, basically. So it's like uh, very a lot of conflict this this one's got with kind of the island at large. Kind of morally gray, you know, <laughs> I'm not really sure if this is on the light side or the uh-huh, dark side of the uh-huh. force, my brothers. <laughs> uh, let's talk about their setup. So we start with two presents on a board, but that is also kind of strange because one of those presents is literally in the ocean territory. Ocean's Hungry Grasp is a spirit that plays in the oceans, a thing I don't think any of the other spirits get to do, but you put your presence in oceans. And then you also start in one coastal land on your board. So you start in two spots, you get two two of them off your board, but you uh, you're not really anywhere yeah you are in two spaces directly adjacent to each other and the far reaches of your board are as far away as infinity because you'll never get there uh well let's talk about some of your other abilities uh ocean in play is the thing we were sort of describing you may add and move presence into oceans you may not add or move presence into inland lands hard cap that's it no option presence Uh-oh. doesn't get to go there at all Uh-oh. oh no <laughs> uh, but the flip side of that is on boards where you have at least one or more presence oceans are treated as coastal wetlands for spirit powers and blight uh you drown any invaders or dahan moved into those oceans and that's the biggest part and we'll talk about drown drown is like a capital d drown ability uh it's so like f- an effect it's an a effect specific uh, thing. and and that's actually our, our next ability but i really quickly want to note on this one the drowning is the big thing here and obviously the like limit on where you can put your presence the um treating coastal wetlands for spirit powers and blight that has like some complications and that's like interesting stuff don't over don't think about that too much for your first few games. It's it's like uh-huh. a whole it's like a whole I don't know. I, I didn't even it's like something I barely came up against. You know, it's it, it, it didn't really come into play very often. Well, don't tell me how to think. I'll think <laughs> I'll think about it as much as I want. I hate to break it to you, but this whole episode is me telling you how to think, Hunter. I'm, I'm really sorry. No. <laughs> You can't be thinking for me. <laughs> uh, drowning, as noted in this first ability, is to destroy drowned pieces, placing drowned invaders on our spirit board. At any time, you may exchange X health of these invaders for one energy where X equals the number of players. So here's our first instance where our spirit changes depending on how many other players there are in the game. So in mm-hmm. a in a solo game, every single invader, every single invader health is that much energy, right? A city, Whoa. three energy for me. Uh, so Whoa. this spirit is like really good at low player counts. You don't have very many places you have to get to. Is there's only like in a two player game, there's one other ocean you have to go to. That's gonna happen immediately. In a four player game, it's hard to get to all four oceans, 
and all of your stuff costs way way more uh so that's an interesting just dynamic Mm. that the spirit has over a lot of others is is i I don't i mean i think some people kind of like it for like a four-player game but i think everybody notes like the spirit has some difficulties uh in higher player count games um but outside of that uh some some advice i got from people is exchange the health first energy instantly like don't i i I spent a lot of games like keeping all my stuff on the board and then all of a sudden you get like hard to figure out how much energy you actually have access to and there's no functional reason for you to not cash in the energy the the moment it is accessible to you yeah wouldn't that be messed up if you had a bunch of like drown like you were keeping them ground or whatever god that's mm-hmm. so like that's so messed up I'm, what a way to go but, uh, <laughs> drowned by a spirit uh but so you've you've kept them all and then like an event comes out where I it's know. like oh if i had four energy well if i had exchanged this city yeah, for yeah. some energy then right you know just so you know like the energy also is kind of banked for yeah. whenever you need it also, right so. right you might as well just turn it into energy essentially instantly uh so yeah, drowning is our big power. And the most important thing to this is, let's go back to Ocean and play. You drown any invaders or Dahan moved into those oceans where your uh, presence exists. And it doesn't have to be in the ocean itself. It has to be on the board, right? So if I'm mm-hmm. on a board and with my presence, anyone can push units into the ocean and they not only die and generate fear, they come come to my board for energy for me to use for my cards and abilities. Right? Wow, Ocean's Hungry Grasp is mean yeah. and like really <laughs> messed up. Like this one makes my tummy hurt. Generally, this is a game that makes me feel good. Yeah. But I think maybe they maybe they went a little too far here. Like <laughs> I get it. The explorers, they're evil colonizers, but they're uh-huh. still people. You know, <laughs> we're literally talking about the ocean, like swallowing them up and yeah. turning them into energy. I mean, it's just, it's the, a rough the way art, to go. The you artwork, know? the artwork, one of this was pretty weird. I think it's weird that you don't get to turn uh, Dahan into, into energy or do you? No, no. Yeah. yeah only the yeah, invaders, only the, the invaders go on your board. So we still kill Dahan, but for wow. some reason they're not you useful to us for it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that would be from a gameplay perspective, yeah, yeah. kind of a weird incentive to like put in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just start. But, yeah. I don't like that messaging. You know, <laughs> uh, let's talk about their innate powers. Their first is pound ships to splinters and um, it's a weird one to bring up first because it, it's it's kind of their off book power. So it's fast, its range is zero, and its target is coastal, and that's a running theme that you're going to notice. Not only is its range zero, which means I have to do it where my presence is, but that presence has to be coastal. Now that, I mean, if it's range zero and I can only exist on the coasts, that's logical. But later we're going to get into powers where it's range one, but it's still coastal. Or, more importantly, I have range zero, but if there's some other spirit that can boost my range... It doesn't matter when my target still must be coastal, be coastal. right? Yeah, so it's not like coastal, huh? anything can actually adjust where I'm able to play this stuff. So it's it's just there on the coast. But here's what it does. This one's very simple. For a moon, an air, and a water, you generate one fear. For two moons, an air, and three water, you generate two fear. For three moons, two air, and four water, you generate four fear. That's it. No other effect. Here's some fear. And I spent a number of games... Being like, well, this seems okay, but I don't really know how I'm supposed to feel about it. 
Uh, and the biggest thing too is we'll get to it later. We'll, we'll 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 talk about this again later. But you only start with a single air in your uh, in your kit, and mm-hmm. uh, you you don't get any uh, additional air like in your uh, per, in your tracks or your presence tracks or anything. So uh, this thing is like hard to proc actually because unless yeah. you go out there and find new air so it's not like you even like do it a whole lot however there's a decent argument for like specifically looking for air and uh this is hey dredge you get to show up in this episode twice good job buddy uh dredge kind of sold me on what this power's point is dredge says this innate power may feel a bit out of place but compared to the spirit bringer of dreams and nightmares it actually generates more fear and is probably more helpful for ocean's hungry grasp and here's why while your presence is limited to coastal lands and oceans when resolving fear cards you can target any lands that meet the fear cards condition as a result, fear cards end up becoming one of the best and sometimes only ways for you to help with inland lands. However, the biggest problem with this innate, though, is that the third level requires two air and your starting cards and growth track elements only have one air total, meaning that if you are wanting to maximize that fear generation midgame, you need to pick up more miners and else, which that's, that last point we, we talked a little bit about. But uh, I like that idea that we start with not a lot of ability i mean we start with no ability to to deal with inland lands and as we draw new cards throughout the game we might gain some but we're still going to be very limited in that regard but if we can churn through fear uh we're gonna have access to abilities that let us do a lot more on the board and we should probably always think about using those abilities not where we generally have control over things right like our fear card effects we're gonna try to keep away from the coast as often as possible because it's kind of our only opportunity to deal with inland lands uh and whatnot so uh i i really like that and it and in games where i started to lean heavy into fear it actually felt really good uh not just from this ability but like you know drowning is generating fear like that this is a this is a spirit that straight up kills stuff they push yeah. and kill in the moment that they kill, which kill. generates a lot of fear. So yeah. um, this this is definitely like a somewhat fear-focused uh, faction if you want to play it that way, and I encourage you to. Uh, their other innate is Ocean Breaks the Shore, and it is a slow power with, again, zero-range coastal. And uh, for two water and an earth, you can drown one town. For three water and two earth, you may instead drown one city. And for four water and three earth, which that's a high cost, you also drown one more town or city. So at maximum value, you can drown two cities or a city in a town uh, or two towns, I guess. Uh, this one is like the very, very juicy power that a lot of people are trying to make proc. Uh, it can become quite costly in elements, although you have a lot of ways around these costs so i would say this is the ability you're kind of looking to try to proc every single turn if you can help it uh now there might just be turns where you've done such a good job that um there's no more towns and cities on coasts but that's probably not true of every single board so your idea is to get onto every coast you know on every board and make sure there's like never towns and cities on those boards however we'll talk about more why that's not always like the easiest thing to do because this spirit has actually a very strange set of growth actions that lead to some really awkward positioning problems Ooh, fun i really like 
I really like uh, phrases like awkward positioning problems. <laughs> That's kind of like an all like that would have been a really cool like alternate title for our show. I think had we called our show awkward positioning problems, I think it would have been a lot more true to what we are. Actually. We love we love a title that's hard to get it all out, you know, in one yeah. breath. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's talk about our growth uh, abilities. Um, they are very, very distinct from each other. So much so that I actually, I think they're some of the most thematic growth options I've seen of any spirit. So much so that I want to give them names for each of you. I, I think if you if you read about this game and stuff, people use a lot of shorthand. And very often, it, the shorthand is just like growth one, growth two, growth three. Yeah. And my issue with that, generally speaking, is it's hard for me to like remember which is which when I'm just like reading a synopsis. So you like have to have the board up in front of you to remember exactly what things are doing. And this spirit is very, very easy to come up with like new terminology for what each of these growths is. So growth one is what I'm going to call low tide. This is our low tide growth. And that is to reclaim cards, right? So this is not something we'll do right away, but it's something for later when we need to pull our cards back into our hand. While reclaiming cards, you also gain a power card, which is fun. I get cards and I'm going to get a new one in the same instance. And you gain two energy, uh, which that's going to become really important later. We'll talk about, well, actually I say really important. I don't know, but two, two energy, not, you know, not, nothing to scoff at. The final step though, is you must gather one presence into each ocean. So for every board you're playing, a presence on a coast has to get pulled into the ocean, which means that presence is not on the coast for our abilities that are zero range target coastal, right? So Weird. one of our three actions pulls stuff out of any sort of range that has any access to being able to do stuff on the board. So this is like a nasty thing that we do to ourselves. We gain a card, we reclaim our cards, but it's like a reset that costs us time and mobility and all of that, right? We don't like taking this growth option. It's low tide. And on a game yeah. where we're supposed to be impacting the island, we want to be high waters. We want to get up in people's faces. And low tide is a bad moment where we're sort of rebuilding up, but it's taking stuff away from us. Our second growth is what I'm calling swell, like the ocean swell. And it's where we gain one energy and it's our big spike of actually adding presence to the board. As you'll note with that last one, it's just gathering presence. It had nothing to do. There was no adding presence to the board in, in our low tide option. This one, we add a presence in any ocean, no matter what. And, and we do that twice. So we get to pull two presents off of our board, really spiking down either of the chains or like both at once or whatever we want to do. Uh, but we get into oceans. And so again, this is like what you do first turn for sure. We'll talk about like actual opening moves, but like it's kind of obvious that this is your first move because you want to get onto every board as soon as possible. Uh, yeah. So this is this is a nice one. Our third and final growth option is what I'm calling high tide. We've got low tide and we have high tide. High tide is another one where we gain a power card. So we have two growth options to gain power cards. This spirit is telling us, let's draw cards big time. Let's let's like draw lots and lots big and lots time. of cards. Especially if you'll note, adding presence in the ocean is not adding presence onto territories that necessarily do anything, right? So even though we're getting presence off our track, when we do swell, we're not increasing our like 
spread on the board itself. We're not in areas we need to be. We have zero range coastal abilities. We have to be on the land. We need to actually get on the coasts. All of our presence in the ocean doesn't do us any good. So that's where this final growth comes into play. We've gained a power card. Then we get to add one presence uh, within one range in a coastal territory. So it must be coastal, but we have range one on it, right? So this is how we move from the ocean to the coast or from one coast territory to another coast territory. We get to add a presence. This is the only other time we actually add presence and it's the only time we add presence to a relevant space on the board. But the final thing we do in this one is the opposite of our low tide. It's high tide push one presence from each ocean right so in every single ocean we get to move stuff back up onto the coasts and what's beautiful about that this is the one part where it's like actually sometimes the higher player counts is nice because if there's four boards i move four like a presence on every single one of those boards i get onto all the boards in like big meaningful ways uh but the the biggest idea to any of this is growth three is our best one Draw a card, sure. add a presence, and get stuff out of the oceans onto the board Seems where they can good. be more relevant. We want to do growth three. We want to do high tide as often as possible, as often as we can afford it. Uh, but that's going to be the big drawback is uh, high tide doesn't gain us ener any energy, and it's pretty slow on the presence gain, gain right? So it's, it's a little bit trickier to use, but it is by far our like best option of doing everything at once. I really like that you're naming the growths, and just so you know, that's going to be just like kind of something we're going to do. We're just going to do now. Um, <laughs> I wasn't I think, sure you know, if it would be relevant to every single. Like I don't because I remember I like care. yeah. <laughs> we're just I doing don't it now. care. <laughs> I do, but you you identified something there the G one G two G three thing. Yeah, that's got to go. Yeah, we're changing it to verbs. Everybody, <laughs> they're going to be weird. And don't worry, the way it's going to work is maths will be sensible and mine will be stupid. Okay. <laughs> But there you go. Hunter's it's already fine. silently working in the background, like trying to I, add stuff you, to spread a rampant green. Listening. <laughs> I have not even been listening to what you've been saying. I just scrolled down to yeah. my part of the episode, and I'm like working on my growth names. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> but I will say one thing about your growth growth names here. It's I love it. Obviously, I love it. I'm on fire for this idea. <laughs> my only little bit of critique, though, is low tide, swell, high tide. This suggests like some sort of flow, yeah. you know, because it's like that's how the ocean, I think, yes. actually works. I've only seen it a handful of times <laughs> uh, when i've seen it i do recall something yeah. about like a cycle it goes through uh-huh uh -huh. um, so would you say that similarly this is a cycle of growths that you would be going through throughout you, the entire game yes you definitely well because again you are gonna have to reclaim cards there's no reclaim uh within mm -hmm. your presence tracks the only way yeah. you're getting all your cards back so you will have to do low tide. low tide every once in a while yeah. Um, your goal is to do that as rarely as possible. But like I played a couple games where I was, I wasn't doing my presence in a way that was probably very good. And it meant I was high tiding and low tiding like every other turn. And that's ah. about the worst situation you can get yourself into. That's actually swell quite in there, bad. Buddy. You need swell, but more than that, it'd just be great to high tide a couple times. You want your high tides to last for a really long time. Cause again, every time, well, uh, and especially if you're not swelling, you're not actually adding like enough presence of, on the board to where when you have to gather presence into the ocean during low tide, sometimes that's all of your presence. And your goal is to make it not that, right? After yeah. low tide, you need to have presence still in territories that are relevant. So that means you need to be amassing uh, more than one presence per coast. You need 
like multiple presences on the coast, which means you have to be doing high tide to add coastal presence uh, constantly and be pushing. So ideally what you're doing is like, you know, growth two, growth three, growth three, growth one, growth three, growth two, growth three, growth one. Like you need like a few yeah. steps in between each mm-hmm. one and then, okay, every fourth or fifth turn we'll we'll do low tide because we just have to or whatever um but you're you're really really trying to avoid it yeah let's talk about our presence tracks because uh they're actually also quite important to all of this and i think one of the things i bumped up against for the longest i couldn't figure out what i wanted to do with my presence and i think there's at least somewhat of a consensus on what to do with the with the presence so your presence track get this hunter you start with zero income you start with zero energy gain per turn nothing your first two steps is moon and water on your third presence you get an income of one per growth or per per turn i should say then it's earth then it's water and then all the way down there as your sixth presence on the top track you have an income of two that's it that's, nice. the, that's as much money as you ever make is two now again your growths are gain two energy or gain one energy uh, but one of those is low tide something we're trying to do as rarely as possible gain two energy on low tide that's kind of okay but the big thing to remember here is we're drowning pieces uh this is actually yeah, not a spirit that lacks in energy bad for you at all, at all. Yeah. just go drown some people yeah yeah all exactly right? Uh, our card plays track is you start with one card per turn and then it's two and then two again, then three, four, five, right? So you have a little bit of like a, a, a threshold to cross and then it's like I can start dumping cards out of my hand like crazy. Five cards per turn. That's yeah, a lot of cards. Fun. Uh, and again, fun. two of your growth options are gaining power cards. So you're like, you're going to have a hand. So like dumping cards is is a good route to go i played a game where i went fully on the top track because i was like well there's a lot of elements in that top track maybe the game is telling me go really hard on your uh your ocean breaks the shore innate ability and that was not a comfortable game to be in because the problem is ocean breaks the shore abilities like that uh only matter if you are getting your presence exactly where you need your presence to be, right? Let's say that you could have a turn where, oh man, I, I've got all the elements I need. I'm going to be able to drown two cities this turn. Except I only have one presence on any coast anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's not a city in that specific territory. Okay, I guess I don't do anything at all this turn. Because I've maxed out my top track and can only play one card per turn. That's a really bad situation to be in. And that's like how I played one entire game. So I'm going to flip it around and go with the people that say, this is a draw cards and play as many cards as possible. You get elements through card play. You don't need the the stuff on your presence track to be what gets you elements. Uh, yeah. wh- like w- one of these presence tracks suggests something you can do elsewhere, wh- whereas the other one doesn't, right? I can't gain additional card play without the card play track, but I can gain elements without the element track. So you might as well do the lower one. Now you'll see some people sort of like, hey, well, do a little bit of both at least, you know, but I think that depends on your early ca- card draw. You, you, you definitely spike card play early and then you see where you're at with your elements and go from there, basically. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's one, it's like what you said. One is one is something you can only do mm-hmm. by specializing in this, and the other, there are supplements. I actually yeah. feel like that's something that we've utilized thus far in our episodes about Spirit Island, is this idea of, like, the only way to get tempo in a game that feels so focused on, like, 
the pace yeah. of everything and right. getting ahead of that pace is by sort of like skirting uh, some of the designers' uh, ideas of like how fast this should be. Uh -huh. There's a way for you to sort of cheat code, unlock, go faster than I supposed to. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's what we're looking for are, are are those those moments in those spaces. And I feel like you've identified a very good one there. Yeah. Let's talk about their unique power cards. Uh, their first one is a zero. Or it's called Call of the Deeps. Uh, it gives you a moon an air and a water and i will note up front this is our only starting card that gives us even a single air which means this card is the only way we do our fear generation innate power uh mm -hmm. that that innate one is one moon one air one water and like i just said this is uh three of those you need one more water so as long as you're playing two cards this card and anything else is enough to trigger your uh your first fear um which I think you should think about. Uh, you, you, especially since this is your only air, you really kind of shouldn't be playing it unless it's also going to proc that fear generation. You need to right. be setting up, which is why, another reason, you need to get two card plays out the gate, right? You, you need that. Or, I mean, the alternative would be, what, your, your first water is too deep, so your first play technically could be to pull two presents from there and then only play call of the deeps but again you're setting yourself up for long-term failure to not have access to the deeper card plays so anyways call of the deeps is a fast power range zero coastal guess what it's that thing again uh and the ability is to gather one explorer if the target land is the ocean that being the land you are gathering into if that's the ocean you may gather another explorer Right. So and again, gather can come from multiple places. So all, as long as there's like a lot of exploring happening on the coast, you can pull a bunch of stuff in. If you are targeting a coastal land, you can pull explorers from inland lands to your coast. Right. That was something that actually took me a bit of time to like click into the idea of this ability is able to impact inland lands. And, and as the ocean's hungry grasp you have to look for a ways to affect inland lands because they're few and far between for you so right. remember this is a way to pull an explorer from an inland into your sphere of influence and if you can combo this with another one of your own pushes or gathers or more importantly some other spirits push or gather that's a huge way to like pull some you, you get to pull an explorer from somewhere inland and drag them straight into the ocean and gain that energy like right away or whatever. So Call of the Deeps is a, a very good card actually, even if it's sometimes just gathering a single explorer, right? The impact it can feel on the board is is much bigger than that. And again, it should be comboing with your fear ability to help you generate like some nice amount of fear. Uh, our next ability is Grasping Tide. It is a one cost fast ability. It gives us a moon and a water. Every single one of our powers gives us water. So we're like never hurting for water. We're fine there. Uh, it's a range one coastal. So again, this is that situation where we have the range one. That seems exciting, but we are still limited to coasts. This does not let us target in uh, inland stuff, but it does let us have no presence on the land itself we're only in the ocean but we can still target away from our influence and that's important because most of our other abil abilities are zero range coastal so on those low tide moments there's nothing we can do but grasping tide we can be low tide and still impact the board a little bit although 
I will say the impact on the board is you just generate two fear, which is good, and then you defend four. And this is also our only defend card. So it's it's a high stack, right? Four is a good amount of defense. It's only in one area. So we need to not have a lot of problem areas. But if you got one problem, I mean, there's one uh, there's one area on every coast that starts with a city, right? This is probably targeting that if that city gets the early explore and thus is going to be like the first ravage, you're probably going to plan to use Grasping Tide pretty early because it's like, well, I know that city is going to be a problem like almost immediately. So let's sort of hold on to this. But beyond, the, beyond that, this is not a card that's like rushing to be played. It, it's got its situations that it needs to be played. Next up is Swallow the Land Dwellers. It is a zero cost card. You'll note so far, zero cost, one cost, zero cost. We got really low cost. We don't start with very much energy. Right, and the so game, it has to be cheap. Yeah, the game forgives us for that. Uh, it is a water and an earth. So this is a card that can start to proc our oceans, whatever it's called. Oceans break the shore ability. This is one of our cards that can help us do that. Uh, it is a slow power that is, once again, zero range coastal, but it's huge, actually. Drown an explorer, a town, and a Dahan, which the Dahan part sucks, but it's also really common to be able to avoid it. You know what I mean? You, you can find lands where there's an explorer, uh, a town, and no Dahan, and you will thus suffer no effects. Um, there's... Uh, I, I like this one a lot. It is really funny that it's sort of doing a very similar thing to the ability. It also helps proc, right? It's giving us a water and an earth. We just need a little bit of water and an earth to start doing ocean breaks the shore, which means you can like very often while playing this card, drown two towns and an explorer, right? Or a city, a town and an explorer. This is when you do your like big spike damage to the board, mm -hmm. um, but it's just mm -hmm. like really isolated. It's one single territory. Now that's, it's not the same territory as your ocean breaks the shore. So it can, you know, you can spread it out that way. But um, I would say the thing about spreading out is that's what's hardest to do as ocean breaks the shore, right? It's hard to just be on all of the coastlands because you're constantly low tiding and pulling out of somewhere so on most coasts you're in probably just one territory and maybe two by like the late game or whatever on on a bunch of them you probably get onto two or three spaces on like your starting board relatively quickly and then the rest are like much harder to have like a significant presence on so that's the hardest part of like doing any sort of spread damage even if you were playing this particular card it's it's hard to spread because you don't always have presence where you need it that is the most difficult part of playing ocean's Hung hungry grasp is having presence where you need it when you need it because the the high tide low tide constantly affects you mm, i'm sensing so this is sort of an awkward positioning problem it's kind of an awkward positioning problem <laughs> Wow, awkward positioning problem strikes again. <laughs> Our final card is a one-cost slow card called Tidal Boon. It gives us a moon, a water, and another earth. So this one, along with uh, Shallow... Uh, swallow the land dwellers. This is how we proc like our other ability. But you'll note that both of them are slow, though. And this one actually targets another spirit. Uh, and the target spirit gains two energy and may push one town and up to two Dahan from one of their lands. If Dahan are pushed into your ocean, you may move them to any coastal land instead of drowning them. This card rules when it works. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's the hardest part of it. There were so many times I played where this card, it's like, ah, this isn't quite the right turn. I can't get it to be able to move the things where we want it. But every time it was like, wait, this is a title boon turn. It was it was a massive turn where I mean it would be slow. It's more like next turn's gonna be massive. But the idea is like you pushed a town 
onto a coast and you pushed two Dahan from a coast into the ocean. I moved those two Dahan to this other problem area for next turn that's going to ravage. Those two Dahan kill the city and right. next turn I get to pull the town you moved to the coast into the ocean and kill it. Like it's these huge cascading effects that come from this card if you can get it to proc basically. Yeah. Yeah, and that sounds like the tricky part. Yeah. Can you the- make all this happen? Can you get can all your presence be it feels like it requires a lot of foresight yes. of like, am I proccing this at the right time? And is my presence where it needs to be all of the time? Right. I will say, as Ocean's Hungry Grasp, and this card is like a good example of this, don't overthink maximizing your potential for a single card. We are going to, in this guide, focus on getting lots of cards and playing lots of cards, which means any minimal effect of any card is juicy, is nice to have. We are we are death by a thousand cuts, I think, as Ocean's Hungry Grass. We are playing as many cards as possible, and they all do small little effects, even if we're not maximizing everything they do. At, at a baseline, this gives another spirit two energy. That might be right. a huge deal. Even if we don't move a town into a super meaningful spot yet, I'm giving you two energy you might need next turn. Um, so I, I think with some of these cards, you're just trying to lay down as many cards as possible per turn, and you don't need to overthink the like, you know, maximum damage you could be doing with any given card. I, I think it is more about a lot of effects all happening at once, especially because the games where I didn't focus on a lot of card play, it felt like I wasn't doing anything. Because in games where you're not doing a lot of card play, you still don't have very many opportunities for Tidal Boon to do a lot. And I'm I'm choosing that as my one card play per turn, or maybe one of two cards per turn. If mm-hmm. it's not going to pop off in that instance, I'm in trouble, right? Half my cards did almost nothing. But if it's one-fifth of my cards doing nothing, whatever, that's fine. I mean, it's not a big deal if it doesn't do anything. It's, yeah, you know, I got yeah. four other cards doing stuff. Right, it's true, yeah. Just just throw them all out there. Just throw everything <laughs> on the table. Yeah. Just It feels like in the late game for Ocean's Hungry Grasp, you, you would just say things like full house over and over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Full house, ro- uh, royal flush, and you the just house lay it out. is full of water. It's a full house. Yeah, that's a uh, full house. So, if you, if, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this I think this faction has a lot of timing and positioning con- concerns. Like we said, it's got a lot of awkward positioning problems. Um, like we said, sometimes your coasts just do not have presence where you need them in the moment that it would be the most ideal our forced lack of range uh because most of our powers target specifically coasts not just zero range but like coasts and zero range that's the worst part honestly the worst part is that it's zero range and coasts uh i can have a presence on a board but it doesn't mean i can do anything outside of that one single spot and if you like you're pretty good at dealing with stuff right so the big issue is you deal with a spot that's done my presence is still there and i don't have a way to move it and i don't have a fast way to get presence elsewhere which means i've dealt with a spot but the spot over there is only getting worse and it's going to take me like two turns to get over there or or whatever like right. that's how it always feels is oh i handled that but oh god i i, I gotta move the juggling act somewhere else like I, I have to figure out how to how to get everywhere all the time you just never feel like you're in as many places as you really wish you were in yeah yeah, I, it it does. It's funny because it looks like when you look at the picture of the the ocean, the way the the wave is, yeah, kind of looks like a bit of a juggler. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of has a juggle kind of just vibe and look like to a juggler. It. This is juggler. I just look at juggler's it and I'm like, hungry grasp. That's a juggler right there. Uh, so I I think the big thing within all of this too is we have a lot of power. Something we haven't talked about much is that we we have a lot of ability to gain more power cards. 
and and something that's a big deal about that is that can become our only option to consider even consider inland territories. Uh, we 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 need more cards not just to like be able to pump out a bunch of cards but we need new cards because our starting stuff is way too limited in scope and other cards don't have those limitations they're just like one or even two away from presence if you get abilities that are two away from presence you can do stuff to inland right there's nothing in your powers that say i can't affect inland it's that i can't put my presence there but if you have long range you can still do plenty of stuff on other boards so especially if you play with like spirits that can grant range I don't know. Oceans is probably a vastly different kind of spirit in those games uh, because the, the games where you don't and you're literally just like sitting there on the coasts, it can feel really, really limited. Um, getting to play, uh, getting more cards to play is a quick need and you'll often find yourself without meaningful plays on some turns if you don't get more cards into your hand. There's uh, all four of these starting cards are like situational. Gather invaders well are did the invaders invade into territories i can even reach with my zero range right right even if i play this card for the the uh, elements my elemental abilities might not get to do very much that's the main reason you need to draw more cards is like you need stuff that can actually do anything at all if you're just sitting with your own kit you'll like never impact the board in a meaningful way the other thing i'll say though that i haven't harped on yet is i i don't think ocean's hungry grasp thrives in a solo experience conversation so i'm sorry to all the people who play solo there's also people that i think uh in in the spirit island community play spirit island with a solo mentality which is to say your job as a spirit is to deal with your board and that's and that's it and they think the most optimal thing is that and then i think there's all the other players where it's like well but sort of the fun of spirit island is seeing how our spirit powers work in tandem how mm -hmm. we can sort of cross-reference each other. And that's been a tricky one to, like, understand how people feel about Oceans because Oceans is a spirit that is so obviously benefiting other spirits just passively. Just by existing, you are benefiting mm -hmm. other spirits. And so to turn that around and be like, but play on your own board. It's like, well, no, but I... I can't do almost I anything on my own board. <laughs> yeah, they literally let won't let me play on my own board. Yeah, uh, I have to come into your board and do stuff. So we have to figure out a way to make sense of that. I need you to figure out ways to get onto my board because I'm going to be on your board. Um, yeah. Sometimes our existence in the game and especially our presence, our presence's existence on other boards drastically boosts the power of other spirits. Uh, and that can be enough to win a game. It doesn't mean you don't have anything to do, but I would also, I, I wouldn't come in with the mentality that you as oceans will single-handedly kill everything that touches the coasts. It's not your job to deal with the coasts. It's your job to be on the coasts so that other people can deal with the coasts. That's the trickiest step that I had to overcome i thought all right this is the ocean spirit let me sit down and y'all hey everyone you get your presence in inland i've got the coasts handled but you don't actually get to do enough in enough places and right. what is much better is when other spirits get their presence on the board and then they use all of their gather and push abilities to just dump just keep dumping stuff into the ocean it makes everybody's stuff so much easier to handle because they don't need destroy abilities and pushing isn't just like a well we'll delay it for this turn because it's not in a sand and sand is the one that's about to build it's like no no no, no. Mm -hmm. i'm pulling from the sand and that's going away forever so our passive ability is the biggest thing we are bringing to the table um that is what impacts the other spirits. You still have a lot of work to do as oceans, basically. Right, right.
but you, but it, it's nice that you are a team player first yeah you know that's right. kind of nice and that's and that's very different i feel like i i've not even played a spirit that feels like that thus far all of the yeah. spirits i've played feel they do feel very kind of self-sufficient and yes. like in a kind of like if i have a little bit of extra gas in the tank maybe i will spend it on helping my buddy yeah yeah but that's not always <laughs> going to be the case this is the opposite of that this is like yeah. i'm helping you and i don't know maybe i'll get something done <laughs> i'm helping you because otherwise i don't know why i came into work today <laughs> Uh, let's talk about our opening moves. Uh, I, I, we sort of talked, touched on this earlier. It's really obvious, actually. Uh, it took me a while to figure out it's obvious. Uh, so maybe that's me being a a, a a dumb dumb. But I I think my biggest struggle actually with figuring out what to do early is not what growths to do, but like what cards to play. What am I doing like with my other actions? It's obvious that I need to add presence right away, right? Swell is our first thing to do. We got to get in his, in every ocean. Uh, and once we're in every ocean, we want to push that ocean or we want to push that presence from the ocean onto the board, right? So our first two turns are swell and then high tide, like no matter what. But what cards you're playing is a much trickier thing to decide what to do. Um, I think some of the things that I've heard are useful, like Call of the Deeps Gathering Explorers is a, a, a good thing to keep an eye on. But I think it's one of the harder ones to figure out what you could be doing with it and again i i push you to look at those inland lands and not worry so much about like are there any explorers for me to gather into the ocean that would be that's the most optimal way to use this card right well not necessarily if they explored on some inland territories i can gather from there and prevent the build right i have not removed anything but i did prevent a build and then next turn someone might be able to push that thing into the ocean or on some future turn after i've low tided i'll get to use call of the deeps again and pull into it so keep an eye out for the inland uh rat you know before the game starts explores let that dictate you know what I, I think call of the deeps is a really good first card to play another good option is tidal boon uh, because it's it's just a way to give someone else energy and, and start moving the towns into territories that might become relevant. There's a lot of long-term strategy with Ocean's Hungry Grasp because you're not always just thinking about, well, what towns are on the coast that I can pull into the ocean and kill right away? Very often, there's like not any, and you got to start thinking about all the inland towns that you need to get to the coasts so that next round you can then pull them into the ocean or whatever. You have to think like two turns ahead kind of all of the time so i would say you're not a very reactionary again you sometimes you can't be reactionary sometimes low tide is what has to happen so all right. of my best laid plans are going to go out the window because there's just like nothing i'm going to be able to do this turn so you have to always be thinking about the long-term effects uh this goes back to like our errata uh from the card that's like oh prevent builds you're a big build preventer that's that's yeah. like your mentality with the spirit is not just get that tempo you up. can kill stuff but you don't get to, like, most of your kill abilities are slow anyways, so you're thinking about, what can I kill that prevents a build so that we don't have anything else happening? Yeah. Uh, and then my only other advice for opening moves is, like, prolong low tide as long as you can, basically. I mean, I saw, like, Brian gave some pre-errata of opening moves, and it was, like, uh, swell, high tide, high tide, high tide, high tide. <laughs> like, you can just keep going because the big thing is every turn you're gaining a power card, right? You're not gaining energy, but if every turn you gain a power card and you just pick the one that costs zero and then you play it, you're not really worrying about what cards you're playing. You're getting your presence on all the boards before you low tide and set yourself back way too far, right? Yeah. If I high tide three turns in a row, that means I 
added presents to two oceans, pushed those presents from oceans, and then was three times in a row added even more presents, right? I've, I've totaled five additional presents on the board. That's yeah. the biggest impact I can possibly have on my game, not the cards that I played. Uh, explicitly right it's not about the specific abilities my cards did it's about me starting to generate enough cards to do stuff but it sounds like what you're doing is just playing a bunch of random junk is that right am i am i misunderstanding yes. for the yeah. first few turns you're playing i mean basically random junk that's gonna you know ideally we'll talk about like what kind of powers we're looking for actually let's let's transition into that what powers are we looking for when we're doing this right if we go with brian's idea yeah we're just taking whatever zero cost card we come across yeah well, minors the, the all, minor only minors right it's a, you're you're not going into majors at all and i'll talk even more about that in a second but we we are looking when we're when we're digging in these uh minor card decks and sometimes major card decks but especially minor card decks we're looking a little bit for our elements, but especially early, we are looking for those like zero cost things. By like turn three, you've probably drowned enough stuff that now you're you don't have to worry about the cost of things. Uh, yeah. At a certain point in this game, Oceans does not care about cost. You have money, okay? You you've killed enough stuff that it's going to be fine. Because uh, keep in mind too, like when other people push stuff, you drown it, right? So yeah. every player at the table is boosting your economy, not just you, everybody. Mm -hmm. So you're you're like on other people's turn, you're gaining a bunch of power. It comes back around to your turn, and you're like, I have four more energy this turn than I did at the end at the like the end of last round or whatever. Um, so to to that end, you really don't have to worry about power. We go for some early zeros, maybe we maybe go for a little bit of elements, right? We we don't want to fall behind on our moon, water, and earth since we're not going top track. We we want to make sure those are being supplemented with card play. We definitely would like air, the purple symbol, if we can do it, just because that helps our fear card. We we start with like no air and any air we can find. But more than anything, I would say our focus is on powers that push and gather right we we need access to that and we need stuff with range i think it's not that uncommon to find a zero cost card that even just like gathers one single thing at like one range that's huge for us for somebody else that gather card yeah that sounds about right it's worth about zero dollars like it's not really doing very much mm -hmm. for us gathering a single explorer from an inland area closer to the coast is going to have a massive impact on the rest of our game so there's a certain extent of we're so isolated in where we can affect things. Even minor effects that are outside of that range have this sort of like escalating feature to them that they become a much bigger deal, which is why I think minor powers are really powerful for us, especially if we are ramping up our card play. We are dumping trash. Like you said, we're just we're doing four cards per turn that are like zero cost, zero cost, one cost, one cost, right? We spent two energy. We still are right. six more behind. But all of those abilities found these ridiculous combos because we are gathering from here and then pushing that into the ocean. Whether it's fast or slow, it doesn't matter. It's like our movement is not your standard movement abilities our movement is also killing stuff and feeding into next turn which means your engine very often can self-subsist off of like i'm drawing so many cards i'm dumping my entire hand every two turns and then i'm doing a low tide but because i did high tide often enough i built up a coastal presence sort of surplus that means I can survive a low tide. That's the main thing we're after, right? What we don't want is to high tide, push everything onto the land, and then the next turn low tide and pull everything right off the land. And now we're just only in the oceans again. But if we did that early high tide like three times in a row, 
we built up that surplus when we low tide we gather one presence into each ocean right that stinks but if we can like each cycle isolate one board at a time that means yeah we're not necessarily over on the other territory but we're like crushing it on this one board and then our next cycle of like high tide high tide low tide we build up a new stockpile on the next board right so if in a two-player game by like turn five the low tide stops really affecting you because you built up a presence surplus and that's the big thing you're looking for um, it's not like you pull everything into the ocean. It's one presence per board into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So you can get ahead of it if you like really focus on that. And then you're dumping tons and tons and tons of cards. Um, the other reason going hard card play and miners works is because we can give ourselves access to more good cards for us, even if they lack our elements. Our Our elemental abilities are not so expensive on the elements that like if we're playing four cards we we can afford three water and two earth you know what i mean even if it's like i drew one card that has none of my elements but it's a good push ability i'll take right. it i'll take it i don't care because i'm gonna play four cards and two of them are my 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 own personal power cards that are going to get me like most of the way through to ocean breaks the shore um i only need like one additional water card at all to be able to then do that bigger effect to drown a city or whatever. So I, I think the like rule of large numbers really, really operates heavily here. You might play three cards and barely get yourself access to Ocean Breaks the Shore level two, but you'll be accomplishing so much by the maneuverability of all the pushing that turns into drowning and whatnot. So let's talk about majors because that's the left, last thing left on the table. I, I tried it, y'all, okay? I tried being like, I got, I'm swimming in cash, right? That's a whole thing. I'm just swimming in cash. Let me get big majors. The thing is, major abilities, we still have so many of our innate restrictions that we have to adhere to, right? I played a game where I went massive top track presence, where I was kind of Mm -hmm. getting a decent energy supply, but I also had my elements on lock, right? I was ocean breaking the shore no matter what. I, I barely had to think about it. A single card play per turn, and I would ocean break the shore. But what I ran into is, especially with major powers, it's like I got the money to afford all kinds of major powers. Every time, and this is especially true because I'm playing with all of the expansions at this point. I've, I've, the, our minor card and our major card decks are absolutely massive. They include everything in dra- Jagged Earth. That There's like so much stuff in there. I had multiple major card draws where the four abilities I drew, they're all powerful abilities, except... I can't do anything with them. <laughs> they yeah. they bring nothing to my game. It's it's too much of a gamble. And I'm going to throw away one of my small cards that sometimes are, it's just a gather. It's just a single gather of a town. That's huge for me. The stuff where it's like nuke this territory and you get a fire and a plant like an, a, a, a grass element. That ability for me does nothing especially the major powers are where you get a lot of powers that require sacred sites i you don't have sacred sites very often i i feel maybe maybe that's like me being not very good but i was not getting sacred sites except for the ocean your ocean is generally a sacred site but then Mm -hmm. you need like the range from the ocean (laughs) to be able to do anything so majors were just constantly way too huge of a gamble where I ended up with like two majors that I wasn't even using and I was cycling them out before I was cycling out any future minor cards. So I I tried it and I hated it. 
So that's why I push everyone to just be like, almost never draw a major, unless it's like literally getting into some of the final actions of the game and you know you have miners to burn, right? You've had a miner that you haven't used in four turns. Okay, do a major next time because now you definitely have the economy and you know a card you can get rid of. Even a bad major card that you draw is probably going to be more impactful than the miner you're losing or whatever. Um, but I think for a long time, you go you go minor cards uh, exclusively because that's just sort of the that's the feature, I think, of the spirit, uh, at least in learning games. It's, it's the only yeah. way I found to actually feel like I was having an impact in games where I didn't do that. It felt like I'm supposed to be oceans hungry grass. I'm supposed to have these coasts on lock and i played multiple games where it's like the coasts are getting destroyed right now they're getting completely annihilated because i'm not actually getting my presence on the board enough to impact mm-hmm. it and and i'm not getting enough cards to even do little minor maneuvers and so like if other people don't spread all the way over onto my board no one's doing it nobody's touching any of the stuff so right. i think it's significantly more impactful to get a bunch of tiny little powers that can maybe do a little bit chip damage right just a little bit at a time to Mm -hmm. move stuff around that's just so much more impactful than rolling the dice on getting one power that might hit once every three turns yeah well it sounds like it sounds like in a lot of ways the the spirit is kind of myopic in that it really only focuses on like a handful of places and mechanics yes so your response to that is let's play blackjack yes hit me you know what i mean hit me yeah. Hit me. Give me as Hit many me. things as possible. Uh, Hit me. Especially 21. in the, in the expansion me. stuff, you get so many Hit powers me, where it's like, I'm going to. <laughs> 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 I'll hit you with my big ocean. Uh, the the big issue with like getting so many more cards is like the Jagged Earth stuff starts adding like all these like, this card, add a disease token somewhere. As ocean, you're like, I'm not going to do anything with disease tokens, man. I don't know what to tell you. I don't engage with this expansion stuff. That was my feeling. And that's probably because I'm not very good, especially at Jagged Earth stuff yet. Like it, it gets a lot more complex as the expansions get introduced. But I, it felt like I was drawing so many cards where it's like, well, this seems cool if I had any meaningful way to engage with that mechanic at all. Uh, and, and it just, it, it rarely did. So uh, my, my conclusions are Ocean feels like it has a significant power to it. You feel like you're going to be able to do big spike damage, but it can be hard to feel that power as the Ocean's player. More often, your allies feel like mm-hmm. better versions of themselves with more clear goals just by you being a part of the game. <laughs> your presence existing on their board gives them access to things they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. It makes all of their push abilities better. Generally, you are a slow, power-focused faction that needs to get ahead of builds and rampages rather than responding to this turn's rampages. I think preventing builds works well, but in general, you can often stack abilities to completely clear one to two spaces on the board, right? And clearing those spaces means, oh, they're not going to ravage in two turns or whatever. Uh, But as we described earlier, when you clear a space, your presence is still there, and now you have nothing to do there. So then you have to immediately turn your focus into where else am I going to get my presence later? Um, your starting hand is okay, but the only way you're going to flourish is with a lot of new abilities that both trigger your innates, but also give you access to the same boosts your allies are profiting from. In a way, you draw cards that turn you into a different spirit rather than leaning too hard into the things you already do well. What you do well is passive, 
You exist on a board and people can push stuff. That's not going to go away. What you need is range and flexibility in your options given the predicament you are in each turn. So like my last guide was Thunderspeaker. You're as flexible as it gets. This is the opposite of that. You are desperately looking for any flexibility you can possibly mm -hmm. find because what you do works really well. You need to find other stuff to do or else you're going to fall behind because there's going to be a whole section of your island that's just blighting into like next. It's just like so awful. It cascades every single turn. Just things are so bleak. There will be parts of your island that just die and yeah. you have to accept that. <laughs> You have to. You have to accept it. So yeah, it sounds like you're saying ah, oh, they're they're very specific, but you know, you know, you can go for that uh that gambling. I'm yeah. talking gambling. The gambling talking, with the blight deck. The gambling yeah. with the like maybe fear will save us. <laughs> I'm talking fast money. I'm talking cowboy hat. I'm talking silver belt buckle. I'm talking gambling. <laughs> Thank you. That's a reference. That's to, a gift uh, for me. Hunter gave me a gift right there. Yeah, that's a reference to a home movies uh, episode that we happen to like a lot, where there's like a gambling cruise, or I'm it's like a boat, a gambling boat. Gambling. <laughs> Coach McGurk is like, I love you. <laughs> He's like, I think I love you. I think I love you. Yeah, look up this scene. Just, oh, look, just look it up. Just I, I don't care if you've ever seen home movies. Just look up I'm Coach McGurk. You've now, gets investment uh, that has inspired advice. me to rewatch all four seasons of home movies. That's, That's all it takes. A, you uh, mentioned one so good, good bit from home movies. I'm like, all right, time to rewatch my favorite show of all time. Okay, yeah. Hunter. That's all I got to say about Oceans. And it took me way longer than I thought it would. So I would love to take a break and give you the mic for spread of Rampant Green. Yeah, I was actually thinking while we were in the middle of that, I'm like, oh, is he cutting me? Am I cut from the show for this one? I was like, dang, nope, Daddy's really going, huh? This is just one of those two and a half hour long episodes, turns uh -huh. out. We, well, we learned how to go hard on Spirit Island. Listen, I will pare it down, so stick around for the second half or second fourth of this episode. Uh, but, you know, first you got to hear from our sponsors. Hi, welcome back. I hope you, uh, did you go to the beach? Did you have a fun time at the beach or did the ocean take you away and swallow you whole and drown Aww. you in its hungry, hungry delights? Aw, wow. How well, adorable. Uh, <laughs> so cool. Uh, yeah, so we're actually not going to be talking anymore of the ocean drowning anyone. Yeah. Uh, in fact, from now on, we're going to be talking about uh, a, the spread, a spread <laughs> Of rampant green, it is a kind of spread like uh -huh. butter or grape jelly or sure, whatever. You, sure. It's 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 good on toast. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It is it is a spirit made entirely of whatever green stuff come out of the woods. <laughs> you know, kind of just green stuff out the woods type stuff. Kind of a fungal spread. Could be moss. Could be like green mushrooms. It uh -huh. needs to be green. Could sure. be just like grass, sure. Kentucky bluegrass, you know something. <laughs> hey, wait, Some, uh, uh, no, uh, that's blue. That's blue. You said bluegrass. No, that ain't. It ain't like that. Blue is just green. I don't know. You if ain't heard been this, to Kentucky. Blue's listen, just green. Blue is just a shade of green, and it's time we all admitted it. There ain't no such thing as isn't blue. There, isn't there some sort of like historical theory that humans mm -hmm. used to not see blue and everything yeah. was just green, like the sky was green, or is it the opposite? I don't know. Now we thought the sky was green because we didn't know about blue. 
Um, that's actually true. Uh, that's that, or, or I mean, probably not, but it is. Okay, shut up. All right, gambling. Uh, all right, let's get into it. So, a spread of rampant green. The lore for spread of rampant green uh, does actually have a lot in common with oceans, hungry grass. Whoa! In that spread of rampant green, don't give a heck about nobody and just wants to spread. <laughs> Does not care. Doesn't really care about the Dahan. Doesn't even... I don't even know if it really cares about the invaders. It just wants to get its green stuff yeah. on everything, you know? Which is kind of how I am about, like, trash on my desk. Uh-huh. I'm kind of a spread of rampant trash when we consider my desk area, you it's know? It's less about whether other people are there or not. It's just that you want to have... It's, But I would like to claim the space. Oh, I'm going to spread on that. It's something that spread of... <laughs> that when I play spread of rampant green, that's what I kind of say. I'll say, like, I'm a spread on that. Uh, they're sort of the arborec, I would say, of Spirit Island mm. uh, in that they are they are natural, but they have sort of a... There's sort of a, a sinister kind of mm. tinge to the art and the vibe. Um, rampant. It's rampant, this You're green. Right. All right. right. It's running rampant on this. Um, I would say mechanically, maybe <laughs> it doesn't quite bear out. The spread <laughs> is definitely in there, though. That right. spread verb, we are going to get that. But let's talk about their setup. So we are going to put two presents on our starting board. One in the highest numbered wetland. And one in the jungle without Dahan, because we're a loner, right? We mm-hmm. don't work with da- the Dahan. We don't work with we don't work with nobody. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. we're out for ourselves. All right, we're just about the spread. <laughs> special rules and innate powers that we have. This first one, big one. This is our special rule. This is our this is our bread and butter. Choke the land with green. Whenever invaders would ravage or build in a land with your sacred site. You may prevent it by destroying one of your presents in that land. Now, that's a little bit costly, yeah. but the Benny is solid, baby. <laughs> the fact that, especially, you know, it's funny because we actually sort of covered this in the errata uh, for Vital Strength of Earth. Generally, it's going to be better tempo-wise to stop a build. Right. You won't always get to do it that way. Sometimes, uh, as spread of rampant green, you sort of say, this land right here? It's not going well here, and we are going to just let it be that way uh, for a minute. Uh, That's something that's kind of fun that you could do is you could sort of actually let the invaders get out of control in a specific land as long as in your head you're sort of like, when Ravage comes up for those people again, I'm... Uh, we're gonna just stop it okay yeah. <laughs> so i've lost here but i haven't lost yet yeah essentially uh the second special rule is steady regeneration which really only exists be to because of this other one um when adding presence to the board via via growth uh-huh. okay so no other special power type stuff which is going to be important to remember and i forgot one time and then i messed up um <laughs> When adding presents to the board via growth, you may optionally use your destroyed presence. Mm. If the island is healthy, do so freely. If the island is blighted, doing so costs one energy per destroyed presence you add. That seems I, cheap. Yeah, well, I never got to do it for free. Oh. Every game when I got to do this, we were blighted. <laughs> Yeah, well, because as you just described, you sort of allow blight and bad things to happen, and you're like, I'll fix it later, and then this ability is like, well, will you, though? (laughs) 
Yeah, spread of rampant green is a very I'll fix it later <laughs> type of spirit. And you'll see why. There's a very good reason why. But um, let's talk about the innate power. So the first one, we've got creepers. I love the name mm. of their abilities. Creepers tear into mortar. Mortar? Mordor. Mortar. Can no, I not no. Mordor. Say... No. <laughs> mortar. Like a mortar, like a pestle in mortar. Mount Doom. No. I... <laughs> You are, I am trying to focus right now, all right? I am trying to deliver the peasants uh -huh. their genius thoughts you're that right, I've you're had. Right. Yeah, you're okay. right, you're right. So creepers, let's just call it creepers. Uh, so it's a slow power. Range is zero, and Ooh. you can target any land with this. Um, for the level one version of it, you got to have one moon, you got to have two plant. You can do one damage to one town or city. Well, that's not good. Uh, two moon and three plant, you can repeat this power. Three moon and four plant, you can repeat it again. Mm. And we had to look this up, but repeat does mean do the whole thing again. Right. Not like you have to select a land and use all three of the damages mm -hmm. uh, in the same land. You can vary it up. Right. You can go around and be like, you know what? We need one little hit over here. We need one little hit over here. Yeah. That's kind of the use case for it. But also a lot of the times you'll just be kind of doubling it up because you're like, listen, if, if I don't if I don't make a difference right here, then yeah. we're in some major trouble. I, I was going to say, I, and maybe you'll get into it later with like their other powers, but I just feel like I haven't played that game yet with like all of the chip damage spirits because it feels like there's a couple or at least there's yeah. other power cards where it's like deal one damage. And every time I have one of those, it's like, why, uh, why though this yeah. is especially this is a slow power right <laughs> you're, uh -huh, uh -huh. you're just doing this and then hope that it meant something so like you're saying yeah you, you do the repeat so that you just like kill the town but i'm like kind of looking forward to the game where it's like these three spirits all just sort of like do one damage to a million things all the time and then by yeah. the end of the turn you're like wait we killed four cities or whatever <laughs> yeah well yeah you'll you'll see how how it can kind of cool. stack up because cool. i i have a very specific exit ramp okay uh, for these guys <laughs> Um, so the second innate power is called All Enveloping Green. It is a quick ability. Mm -hmm. uh, its range is one from a sacred site. So mm. that's a little annoying yeah. um, because I already told you we have a reason to just kill our sacred sites right. if we need to. Um, and then our target is any land. Um, so for one water and three plant, we get to defend two. Not bad. For two water and four plant, four. we get to defend four instead. Okay. And for three water, one mountain, and Whoa. five plant, we also remove one blight. Oh. Here's the thing, Matt. I, you're, you're wincing a little bit, <laughs> uh, but we do have a lot of plant on okay. the track. All okay. right? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about all that plant. It's kind of dumb. You're never going to be worried about plant gotcha. uh, as rampant green. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the growths mm. so this spirit gets an always mm. uh, which is nice uh we, we are a spreader so we we get our presence out there it is coming off the board mm -hmm. super fast this is not like matt where we're very restricted as far as like i don't have enough presence on the board you're gonna yeah. have enough but it might not always be where you want it to be uh -huh. <laughs> um so our always is uh, we can place a presence, range two, from presence we already have, but it must go to a jungle or a wetland. This mm. is where we're based. This is where yeah. we uh, spread first, uh, uh, actually. Um, <laughs> I said that like I was going to say more, and then I kind of just like pooped out. Um, <laughs> let's talk about 
the uh, the pick one growth. So that's something we do always, what I just said. But then we have these three. So the first one, uh, which the community calls G1, that I'm going to call regrowth. <laughs> Uh, we reclaim our cards and we gain one power card. All mm -hmm. right, fairly standard. Um, G2, which I'm going to now call invade. Ooh. Uh, yeah, like kudzu. Like kudzu. <laughs> all right, we're an invasive species. Is that, a, right? is that a joke everybody knows about? Is that like an Arkansas? Where, how how well, illustrious yeah, kudzu. is kudzu? <laughs> kudzu is like, it's like a, it's like an, uh, it's like from China or Japan, uh -huh. and it's like a wheat or it's a vine. Sorry, right. and it has just taken over the South. I yeah. mean, it's all over. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just eated, eated it all up. Uh -huh. It is, a, it is the closest thing we have in the United States to a spread of rampant green. <laughs> I will tell you that. Um, so invade. Uh, uh, our second growth option is add one presence, range one from presence. We can put that presence anywhere. That's um, yeah, I like that. And then plus one card play, oh. which is going to be very relevant in the early game. We have kind of a pretty slow card play uh, ramping up, uh -huh. uh, and we're pretty much always going to want to play two cards. Playing yeah. one card, not a good option. Okay, for us. <laughs> we will not be taking that option. I don't even know why they've put it in there uh -huh. because we won't be doing it. <laughs> Um, our third growth, I'm just going to call, what's like a good, well, I'll, I'll call this one photosynthesis. Ooh. Um, yeah. So, it's so gaining third, energy. Yeah. Uh, so photo, photosynthesis, we gain a power card and we gain three energy. Uh-huh. Our presence tracks, uh, break down like this. We got a top track, of course, for energy. Uh, we start with zero. Uh-oh. Then we get one. Then we uncover a plant. Then mm. we get two. Then we get two again. Then we get another plant. <laughs> oh my and gosh. finally, <laughs> we get three. Now, don't worry. Our cards are pretty cheap. They're not okay. super cheap, but they are pretty cheap. Um, our card play track is as follows. We start with one. We then uncover another one. And then two. And then two again. And then three. And then finally four. We only get to play five cards if we uncover our entire card play track and then use invade yeah. as our growth. Wow. Um, but, you know, whatever. So what? We're not, we, you know, not everybody gets to just play all the cards all the time. Sure. So let's talk about unique powers, our starting hand. Um, and these are, I'll go ahead and say before I describe each one individually, we have a pretty weird list of abilities. Mm -hmm. um, the, <laughs> the innate powers that we have are pretty, I would say, impressive and very focused. And then this is just kind of a list of, of different things do it's stuff yeah we, there's not like we a synergy more, to your to the sort of ecosystem of your cards we are a little more of a jack of all trades type uh spirit than i originally believed i thought this was another very defensive spirit and we uh -huh. do do some of that but then we also do do some other stuff um and this is that other stuff so the first one we're going to talk about is called Fields Choked with Growth. It is a slow power. Its range is one from our presence. Target is any land. It is zero energy cost. The elements we get for it is sun, which is actually useless for us, which is really uh -huh. weird. I kind of thought plants needed like sun to grow, but we don't do anything <laughs> with sun. So I'm not even, I don't even get that. Um, and then water and then plant. Um, and water and plant, obviously very important. They factor into both of our thingies. Yeah. And then the ability is push one town or push three 
Dahan. Mm. Um, between the two, obviously, I kind of like push three Dahan a little more than push one town. A lot of times you're going to have to push a town. It's not exactly my favorite thing to do, but um, we're very much about slowing down the process of the invaders invading, yeah. especially in the early game. We ramp up a little faster than I think some spirits, but we still got to get up the ramp. Yeah. I'll say... That, hey, I'm 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 in my oceans hungry grass, but push one town. That's some juicy. That's that's good stuff for me. Oh, so yeah. if you're if, if, to the if, coast. if Hunter and I had worked on these together at the same time, uh, I I would have been I would have been more excited about Hunter's fields choked with growth than Hunter would have been. <laughs> right, right. Um, and we're we're very weird uh, with our relationship with the Dahan. That push three Dahan. This, yeah. That's kind of besides the push three and the defense that we get. Um, we're not always depending on the Dahan uh, to do anything. A lot of times I find I'll show up kind of last minute after the Dahan have dealt a little bit of damage to like finish off the town and city or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, you feel like you're kind of working alongside them but not uh, specifically with them so much. Yeah. Um, the second power is called Gift of Proliferation. It is a quick power. Um, its range is uh, Spirit and your target is another spirit. Can't target yourself. It's one energy cost. It provides one moon and one plant. The effect, target spirit adds one presence up to one from their presence. Mm. So this is actually really helpful for a lot of other spirits. Um, even uh, if I had played with Vital Strength of Earth at yeah. one point, that would have been like super cool for them. That's the card uh, art too. The card art is like, look, there's Vital Strength of Earth uh, on the on the picture, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know, and Vital Strength of Earth has moss all over him. Where did he yeah. get that? Well, he got it from my spread. That's another huge one for oceans. Like I would have loved. I'm so mad at myself that I never played with Spread of Rampant Green. I'm loving yeah. these two spirits synergy so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the synergy is very good, and and you know everyone pretty much likes this. But there are some there are some spirits where this card can feel kind of I would say a little broken yeah. because if you are playing this a lot and really ramping up another spirit, yeah, it can get to the point where we already have choked the land with green. We can sort of hold our stuff. We can we can create a sort of holding pattern and be uh -huh. like, I'm just gonna slow them down and help you get out of control wow. so that you can sort of take over uh, the, the mess I've made. <laughs> <The problem. laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a funny thing that you could do. Uh, third ability or third power I should say is called overgrow in a night. It is a quick power range one from presence target any land two energy costs and it provides one moon and one plant add one presence wow. uh or if a, if your target land has your presence already and invaders uh three fear you deal hmm. so this kind of has two sides to it which is great Early on, it's helping you add even more presence, and yeah. it's also presence you can add that isn't going to wetlands or jungle, which is yeah. really important because you will want to do things that don't have to do with just <laughs> wetland and jungle. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to do that, you're going to need to play this on yourself. And then in the late game, after you've sort of completed your spread, this is helping you give uh, some base fear. Yeah. One thing I noticed in one of my games was I was able to turn Rampant Green into pretty much a fear-based yeah. spirit um, because I had this and then a few other cards, and suddenly I'm doing like five to eight fear yeah. every single round, which is wild. Um, and definitely one of the things I really like about Rampant Green is 
because you're given a handful of very good abilities and then like a little bit of dabbling and yeah. other stuff, we can push a little Dahan, we can generate some fear. Uh, depending on how the minor powers and major powers play out for you, you can build, I would say, very different feeling rampant greens mm. with this sort of constant like, uh, you know, like I'm I'm gonna help you out here. Actually, forget about my stuff. I'm gonna just like choke over there. But over here, I'm gonna do this weird thing to help you out right now. And I really kind of love spirits that have this approach. Vital strength of Earth, very focused, very specific advantages that you want to play into over and over. Yeah. This is not really that, which uh, was kind of refreshing for me. Um, the last one to talk about is stem the flow of fresh water. It is a slow ability. Uh, it is range one from a sacred site. It's target any land and it's zero energy cost, which is great. It provides a water and a plant. I don't know if you noticed, we got two cards that are moon and plant. Yeah. And we got two cards that are water and plant. One of them has a sun. That's you're going to be playing these in uh in some pairs. That's kind yeah. of a signaling of like how we're going to do this. Um, the effect is one damage to one town or city. However, if your target land is mountain or sand, instead do one damage to each oh. town and city. So this is kind of tricky, right? This is more chip damage stuff. Yeah. Uh, one damage is useless. And I don't know if you <laughs> noticed, we only, we only had one other damage available. Yeah. So we are definitely looking to augment and kind of add to our damage in a yeah. way where these abilities are actually proccing in a way that kills stuff because if it don't kill stuff it don't really do nothing yeah now and this it. card is annoyingly the opposite too right you just said there's a there's a water and plant and there's a moon and plant your moon and mm -hmm. plant innate is the other chip damage and this is the water and plant card that's so annoying that you can't yeah. like easily quickly combo it with the other chip damage ability that you do well so I will say this, when I said two and two, what I meant was one moon, one water, because yeah. the, it, we can trigger the level one uh, of easily. both of our innates pretty yeah. easily. We just have to split them up. Right. Um, we have to play, you know, overgrow in stem or gift in stem or overgrow in fields and yeah. gift in fields, stuff like that. That's how we're going to play it. And whenever we get to the opening moves, I will describe exactly that. But yeah, so these unique powers make for a tricky early game not a lot of damage or even utility function <laughs> yeah. in these cards and in fact at most you can kill like one town yeah. in the early game in the first couple rounds that's kind of all you got you'll need to have a really good grasp on like invader actions and tempo i think in order to plot out an early game that doesn't get too out of hand now there's a certain amount of like we can let things get out of hand but you will lose the game if you let things uh -huh. go too far. Right. Killing a presence in order to stop That's... the invaders from doing stuff <laughs> is costly. Right. It's not meaningless. And in fact, I am going to advise you to not go too, you know, I, there's a lot of people online I've noticed in strategy guides for Rampant Green that sort of say to just do choke as much as possible. And I don't uh -huh. want to fall into that. I think I had games that went pretty poorly for me because I was choking too much. You can mm. choke too much, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can quote me on that one. <laughs> Getting presence down gives you more options to slow the invaders early, but don't forget you need a sacred site for stem the flow, which is kind of like your big damage card early game. What I really like about the spirit is that we have a nice suite of slightly different abilities that can be augmented with additional powers to become a terrifying kit. We can create synergy after the fact. Adding more damage or more fear cards is critical. We sort of have defense uh, on lock 
So adding defense cards, I feel like generally is a little bit whatever. Mm -hmm. um, because we could always just, you know, if things are getting way out of hand, we could always just stop the invaders from doing anything. Yeah. And that's sort of its own defense, right? Um, as far as aspects go, I keep leaving aspects in the Yeah, in your guy, I don't know why. Does this one even have any? We just, I don't even know if they do, but no. we, I didn't play, we, we don't play with aspects yet. I'm just leaving it there for the future because for I sure. know we'll be doing all of this again in two years because that's how we do this. <laughs> that's how it goes. We're not doing, we, no matter how good of a job we think we're doing now, it's not as good as we will eventually. Once we ascend, yeah. once we ascend, we'll have to come back. I can't stop thinking about you saying you can choke too much. Uh, that's <laughs> that's Hunter's other show, just so everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So opening moves, let's break it down. Um, so, so there's actually a lot of agreement out there on what the opening moves for Rampant Green are, mm. um, and it's kind of boring. I even read, I read some people that were like, "Ah, oh, here's here's how I would open it up," um, and it would just seem to like, I don't know, I just didn't get it. So I, I tried a couple different openings, but in the end, I think the uh, general consensus is pretty solid. So we're gonna start with uh, Growth Two, aka Invade, uh, <laughs> as our first growth. Uh, it's great because we need to get presence down as soon as we can. Yeah. Um, I like to throw d uh, one down from each track so we can kind of uh, open up options for an even better turn two than our first turn. Right. Um, we definitely, we have to throw one presence down in jungle or wetland. Um, and I would encourage you for that presence to make a sacred site. Um, mm. You're going to need it just for the option of using choke at all in the future okay, sure. or for using um, them the flow, which I'm going to encourage uh, that, that we, we do do that. Doo -doo. Um, I think the other presence that you lay down should maybe go in a land uh, with invaders where we would like to uh, destroy a town. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as cards go, um, I'm going to say we should go with stem the flow and gift of proliferation for our first turn. Now we could alternatively throw in uh, fields uh, choked with growth, which I think would make sense uh, depending on how the invaders start. It might be more interesting to actually um, move some Dahan in position to do like even more damage on the Ravage uh -huh. next time, but it just depends on where they start. In a lot of my games, I could not get them to start in jungle or wetland, which would sure. be like the most useful for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely like uh, killing a town on your first turn. So basically, if we go stem the flow and gift a proliferation, we also activate creepers. So creepers will be online. Um, so first things first, we kill a town, and we help one of our companions get an early start. Mm -hmm. um, I would discourage uh, any use of uh, choke the land on turn one, unless it's it's kind of if if the rng ended up like well this is gonna be a really bad start unless i choke the land in order to prevent uh building on the first uh turn but the reason i kind of like don't like that is i feel like it really limits you on turn two um so i don't mind if things look a little bit weird at first at, because we're so good at hanging in there in the mid game i've had a lot of mid games go bad as rampant green mm -hmm. so uh honestly i feel like you can you can do it like don't don't be worried about like uh it's getting kind of wild on my board because it's like once you come online you can really start uh accruing a lot of fear and once you get to like terror level three especially the idea of just focus firing on uh cities is like very very easy for you to do mm -hmm. so let's talk about turn two so for our second growth uh i'm definitely going to recommend photosynthesis 
uh, grow three, uh, so that we can pick up a new minor power and we can gain three energy. Throw your new presence down from the bottom track uh, to gain even more energy. Um, and then we'll, hey, we'll have a little leftover for the next turn, which is great. So for cards, uh, we should play Overgrow in a night and then Fields Choked with Growth. Um, this will activate our innate All Enveloping Green. Uh, once we play Overgrow, uh, you can place the presence from that from the top track, um, which is what actually activates um, All Enveloping Green. All Enveloping uh. Green will help you defend any Dahan that are actually going to ravage in this turn. Um, and obviously, right. it's only two defense, so we're talking um, we're talking Explorer and Town. Yeah. Um, which means, you know, if it's if it's your coastal city uh, spot, uh, you ain't doing much about that, and I'm yeah. and I apologize. That's <laughs> rough for you, but there's I don't I don't know what to tell you. On this turn, we're sort of we're sort of cosplaying as vital strength, right? We're we're defending the Dahan, and the Dahan are doing the primary damage. Yeah. Um, and then from here on out, basically we're going we're going to be cycling through the deck, hunting for minor and major powers. Um, that will augment our kit and actually deliver us a good outcome. Meanwhile, um, we're using choke sparingly, but uh, let's talk about choke. Actually, let's 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 just completely unpack choke. So, choke is really good in two contexts. It's really good in a context where uh, there's been a lot of building and it's getting really out of control in this land, just to kind of lock it down and be like, all right, we're not ravaging, we're not we're not accruing blight from this. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep placing presence, especially if it's like jungle or wetland. Uh, that's kind of the ideal situation. Sure. Uh, in order to say like, okay, I, I, I have time to figure out what I'm going to do with this land or possibly get another spirit to help me. The other place where it's really good is before the build action so that perhaps on the ravage, the Dahan can just kill whatever is there. Mm -hmm. If you have an explorer and a town already somewhere and you stop them from building... Uh, basically, it's still very achievable for you to be able to destroy the town and make it so that, oh, there is just an explorer there, so I don't even have to worry about this land for a while. Um, and those, I would say, are kind of the platonic ideals of using uh, Choke. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be listing out every single card in the game anymore, which yeah. is something we did on the first Spirit Guide. Um, I liked it, but it just it seemed like kind of silly. Um, and actually, just we got too called many. out a little bit. It's just There's too, too many, many cards. <laughs> There's way too many cards. Um, so we're just going to keep it down to concepts for the spirit. Um, we want to be unlocking our innates pretty much every time. So we want to make sure that we've got, you know, we've got plenty of moon and water. Uh -huh. Plant kind of takes care of itself. If we play any of our cards and we have everything uh, revealed on the track. We're going to get enough plant. Yeah. Um, but what we want is more moon, more water. So be on the lookout for... Uh, minor power cards that have moon and water that sort of have abilities that, that work well for us. We cannot do any damage to explorers. Mm -hmm. So like anything that provides damage or helps us move explorers around will help us get even more tempo. That's like kind of our big limitation, right? Is if there's an explorer down, I literally have no way to stop them from doing anything besides yeah. killing a presence, which is kind of high cost. Yeah. We don't want to be doing that in too many lands per turn. In fact, I would say if you find yourself doing it in two lands on one turn, that's a really bad sign, yeah, right? Like right. that's a sign that in the future, you're about to lose a lot 
of tempo. Um, also, we want fear cards, cards that move the Dahan around. Yeah. Uh, basically, I mean, I would say almost any cards um, except for, I mean, defense is also like not bad, right? Especially if it's paired with a little more movement of Dahan. Sure. We can stack defense in our problem areas, especially if we have one one land that's getting out of control that we're having to choke over and over. Yeah. Eventually, the way you're going to want to deal with that is to throw down like eight defense. Now, we have like four on yeah. our sheet. So if we can find four more, that's not too bad. Um, and then hopefully if you've moved the Dahan around in such a way, uh, you're 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 killing everything. Yeah. It feels more like delaying the inevitable though, right? Like, or not inevitable, right. but it's just like the faster approach is like, well, listen, man, if we can fear, we'll just get to like, yeah, the later stuff, like you're saying, like we'll, we'll just end the game instead of like, I'll keep defending until this eventually works out or, or, or it doesn't. Uh, it feels like you are capable of so many problem areas that defense is spinning wheels rather than like forward momentum. Right. Yeah. And I, I also like just want to stress that like mostly the unique powers that you have are about activating the innates uh, in the late game. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, as you get uh, closer and closer to like level three, of, for, ex for example, creepers, that's three damage you can do to towns and cities, and it can be spread out. Yeah, yeah. So if your Dahan are in various areas, you can even kind of distribute their damage in a way that's really advantageous mm -hmm. for the use of this ability. I've even seen people be like, oh, I'm going to kill an explorer first, actually, because I'm not going to be able to kill the explorers with creepers, yeah. but I can finish off this city or whatever uh, later. Yeah. So... That's absolutely useful. Another thing that's useful is removing blight. You're you're very good at preventing the blight situation from getting out of control because yeah, you that's have cool. that fallback of choke. Yeah. So anytime that uh, that you're looking at something and you're like, you know what, I am not, I don't think it's a good time for me to choke this land, but they're going to cascade. Well, remember, you have a quick ability, all enveloping green yeah. at its third level removes blight now you do have to find a mountain somewhere you do not start with mountain so that's something to keep uh track of in the early game that at some yeah. point you're going to need to acquire a power card with a little bit of mountain yeah um what i like if you like spirits that pay a lot of attention to the tempo of the invasion and uh just draw cards and play cards uh -huh. you're gonna have a lot of fun with uh with rampant green um your strengths are that you spread out very quickly, uh, that you have no problem uh, kind of accruing presence mm -hmm. uh, unless you kill all of it. So again, the, your your only problem is like do not yourself. Your only problem is you. <laughs> your only problem is that you might get a little too wild on the whole choking aspect. Uh, so make sure you keep that in check. Uh, again, rule of thumb here, I would say, is if you're having to do it. Uh, twice in one action, especially if it's earlier on in the game. If it's in the late game, whatever. Yeah. I mean, basically, the 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 off ramp for me with rampant green is you start. You're throwing your presence on the board. You're developing. You're 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 uncovering both tracks. Uh -huh. Um, you you sort of manage the invasion. You sort of make choices of like you know what over here. Um, I'm not even going to choke over here. I'm going to let them. I'm, I'm going to let them attack here. Um, it's that kind of game. And yeah. then you really want to unlock level three terror because once level three is unlocked, your abilities very naturally isolate 
just cities and yeah, kill them. Right. Like, if you can just spend your damage on just that, you go suddenly from feeling like, ah, oh, I don't really do a lot of damage to like, I do damage exactly where I need to. Yeah, yeah, We're going right. to be fine. <laughs> um, especially with your ability to place uh, extra presence. Yeah. Uh, so if you're like, oh, I just need to get here and here and kill these cities, then suddenly the end of the game is very much in sight. So that's why I would say, in a way... Mining the deck for fear cards, well, it feels a little bit strange because you only have one ability that has to do with fear. Racing for that terror level three is very important. So I would also encourage you to like partner up with, with fear-based spirits so that yeah. maybe you don't have to deal with this. Damage also creates fear, so there you go. Yeah. If you can get your damage up, uh, that's useful for like policing your own area. But again, you can, you can always choke. You can let things get really bad yeah. on your end of the board and still manage to have a decent time. Um, I will say you, it is kind of a bummer. You're not super great at helping out your buddies, but you are good at sort of saying like, hey, no, don't worry about this over here. I'm coming to help you out right here. We're going to clear this city. Yeah. That way things don't get too rough for you. You have right. a little bit of potential for that, especially in jungle and wetland well and, um, and i mean honestly the the help you did for your buddy happened early game with like some a bunch of gift of proliferation right like right. yeah i'm not gonna help you as much on the late game but like i set you up for success <laughs> for the mid and late game basically your your early game was ramped up so much because i everyone got their presence on the board like twice as fast or 1.5 times as fast or whatever that that seems like uh what you did for the for the group right <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say, so like stem the flow of fresh water. That's the one that does one damage to one town or city. Um, and if the target is like a mountain or sand instead, do one damage to each town and city. Yeah. That mountain and sand thing, that's tough to pull off. Yeah. I, I did not make that happen a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, it really only works if uh, it is a space where you also have presence so that you can do uh, creepers on top of that because remember mm -hmm. creepers is a range zero right so be thinking about this early yeah i would say the priority list for me is i got jungle and wetland let's get a little bit into mountains let's get a little bit into sand and hopefully you're kind of calling where it's gonna get uh where you're really gonna need to kind of nuke yeah um early so i would say like if you start with a board that has like a like coastal sand Definitely jump in there. Have right. have a presence in there, right? Um, so that so that you can possibly like actually use this ability later. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a weird because of the range zero stuff. I kind of have this issue with this, um, with this spirit that, and and you know, uh, correct me, everybody. Go ahead and errata me if I'm incorrect in this. But I felt like I kind of just needed to have my presence everywhere. I yeah. didn't really have a way to be like you know. Because so few of my abilities have to do with uh, targeting next to me because of a sacred site. And because Creeper's Tear into Mortar is such a bread and butter thing in its range zero, mm -hmm. I felt like I could very rarely just be like project influence into a land where I did not precisely have presence. Yeah. So maybe it sort of works out like this. We've got the Dahan, hopefully where we are not. Yeah. Uh, doing that sort of, I'm going to defend the Dahan here and then the Dahan will clear up the mess. And then the rest of it is all just kind of like, I'm just slowly ticking away at them, yeah. doing my damage with creepers and meanwhile preventing them from either building or ravaging. Yeah. So sort of think about splitting the time uh, a little bit. 
pushing the Dahan out of where you have presence to other places and then defending them with your sacred sites. Yeah. Um, to me, that seems like the most sustainable way to do it. But really, with Rampant Green, it's just a race against time. You're just racing yeah. to Terra Level 3, and then once you get there, it's just nothing. It's yeah. nothing for you to, to like finish that off. And I know that's probably, I mean, it's true a lot of the time. Uh, Terra Level 3 is sure. just once the game becomes easier to win. But your kit is specifically <laughs> just like, yeah, I, I can kill these cities. Yeah, All yeah. I got to do is kill cities. They're dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but both of the games that I won with Rampant Green was like the turn. We unlocked Level 3 and then instantly, yes. well, I'm going to win now. Dude, it's over. That's how Oceans was. I mean, that's the, the theme of both of these is when it matters, you can you can hit the stuff you need to hit. But like some of the island is gonna look really bad, it's gonna look <laughs> really bad. Yeah. really bad. But you're just okay with that because, like we addressed with both of these, they're not friendly to anything else. They just like their little thing. They like their corner of the world. Um, yeah, I, I I I think that's the theme of this episode. If we're if we're at the end of each of these guides, making up a theme for why these two spirits belonged together. These are the two careless blighters of the yeah. of the group of the the base game set it's just sort of like i don't really care what happens i'm just gonna let everything die and i'll i'll be fine it'll it'll work itself out in in the long run yeah one of the things i really like too about uh about rampant green in particular is that like your unique powers are pretty cheap which gives you a lot of leeway to sort of be like i'm gonna spend my energy on uh, continuing to throw my presence on the board. If you uh -huh. get like kind of ahead energy wise, you can start choking. Like yeah. you can start being like, I'm just going to choke here because uh -huh. like I I can just get that presence back whenever right. I need it. I have all this energy to just pay to put them back on the board. Right. Uh, you also uncover yourself like pretty quickly compared to other spirits. Uh, in in two of the games I played, uh, the other spirits I was playing with, some of them didn't even hadn't even finished their tracks. And we won the game uh, because, <laughs> and I, I have been uncovered for like half of the game at yeah. that point. So it is, it is good if you like to just get your kit online yeah. as quickly as possible. It's a very, it's a very good spirit for that. And I had a lot of fun playing them, and I really enjoyed uh, putting this together. weren't they your uh, Were they your first spirit? Like this was the one no. you? No, it wasn't. Okay, maybe, maybe it was my first spirit, and I didn't understand what was happening at all in my first game with this one. I, I don't remember. I feel like it was in one of our first games, but I remember being very. Uh, very confused by this one the first time I saw it, but I, I like it. I, I think the most confusing step of any of these like more interesting spirits is that idea of like, uh, well, anytime I play with stads, stads re re recites this, which is blight is a resource. Blight's a resource. Hey, it's mm -hmm. fine. Blight's a resource. That's just one right. of our many tools in our kit is sometimes things blight and we're focusing on something else. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. I want to thank our weird bears, Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish Emu, Pope Billy the Second, Brassbird, Cabal of Soul, Kaluan, Daryl, Jadim, Jedi, Carnal, Necrodice, Twice, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, M. Lachevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky, M44, Rwise, and Spirit Thing. <laughs> and our teensy sprouts, Baldrick, Tautology, Is What It Is, Kraken, Frank, G, General, Pith, My Son is also named Born, Uncle Batty, The Wild One, and Vince. It's time for a homebrew review. <laughs> yeah. I got a I got a fun one today, Hunter. That I I hope just sort of 
uh, invites you and I to do a little bit more of last week's episode. Last week's episode was like, let's dream. Let's think of what else could happen Mm -hmm. in in TI. Mm -hmm. And this homebrew is very much like, what are new mechanics we could have? Bradley Sigma had a, a new planet called Test Site 7, but the planet's not a big deal. The planet, I think, was a hazardous 2-0 or whatever. But it had a new concept on it, which was instead of a tech spec on it, a tech specialty, it is a unit upgrade technology specialty. It it has a little symbol of, you know, that dreadnought unit upgrade symbol. It's got that on it. You can exhaust this planet when researching a unit upgrade technology to ignore one prerequisite of any color. So it's not focused on the red mm-hmm. path it's just focused right. on get you closer to some juicy unit it's like the opposite of the jolnar thing this planet is the opposite of the jolnar uh skip to to something sort of it's not right. quite as good as right. that but it's but yeah skip one single prerequisite for a unit upgrade i just love that i i have a desire for twilight imperium planets to be even more dynamic uh this is like a this would be like more like a fifth edition idea but i I think just the idea that most of our planets are just like well they're their resources and influence and then there's like a couple things added into that mix i think when prophecy of kings added legendary planets and there's these like major points of contention all i wanted was more of that i think the the variety of the game is best when it's like all of these planets are doing vastly different things and there's like big reasons for you to want to take something from somebody else uh, in various ways. So I really want to see like more symbols on planets. I got something for you right here Heck about yeah. this. Uh, I I think, so the, my whole thing, you know, lately is like more theme, more theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my critique of this uh, Test Site 7 plan, it's a great idea and it's inspired me to, to say something else. Uh, I don't like that it's just a skip uh-huh. I say this. What if there were planets that just had that unit upgrade on it? <laughs> this so, is just dreadnought to the planet. <laughs> yeah. So so this planet has destroyer two. When you're researching technology, you can exhaust it. You now qualify for destroyer two. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that gives access to the idea of a war sun planet. A war sun planet <laughs> where war sun just is and people fight over it. Yeah. I love that. That should be I'll take you one step further. I, th- I think that's cool as planets, but the problem with anything just being a planet is it's like, well, is if that's in the game, make this also an explore thing, like an explore attachment. That's like this planet is war sun planet as well. I want yeah. both is what I'm saying. I want there to be sure, a planet sure. that's war sun planet, but also an explore deck is this turns into also war sun planet. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think just having them spread out like, c- cause it's okay. It's another way to potentially get some more use out of something like researching space dock two, for example, right? A lot of people don't research space dock two, but if we made a space dock two planet, right? Do you think you would throw it in then? If it was like you didn't have to qualify for it at all, it's right. just all you have to do is exhaust this planet, and now you have space dock two. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe right. there'd be a little more use out of it. Yeah. I kind of like. I thematically like the idea of it's a planet where if you control it. They will teach you how to make space dock. Yeah, yeah. That's what I say is happening. <laughs> right. That, that technology is just there, and now it is a part of your galactic empire or whatever. Right. I love that. Uh, we've got also for everybody an agenda phase. Lucky. I got two actually for you today. Uh, okay. Because well, one's quick. One's really quick. All right. <clears throat> Lucky Lizard asks, please, on the spot, create a Twilight Imperium oh knock knock joke. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Oh, wait. Sorry. No, you you start. Oh, I start? <laughs> you do it. 
You want me to have... Okay, I've got mine. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, uh, go uh, ahead. Uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Nestfar. Nestfar who? Man, what, what, in, in my girl, why'd Macaulay Culkin have to go kicking that Nestfar? What's, what's, I, I thought that was real dangerous kind of attitude That's he funny. had about him. Yeah, that was, that, that was, was, a, was almost a joke. That was a joke, okay? <laughs> Matt, oh my God, that did qualify as a joke, Matt. It definitely did. It absolutely was a joke. And I'm sure there are people laughing uh -huh. at it. Oh boy, sure. I hope. I hope so. I'm certain. My delicate Nestfar. ego couldn't take the alternative. <laughs> what's, what's Macaulay Culkin kicking that nest far? <laughs> okay, let's move on. Let's move on. You, <laughs> you got a knock knock joke, Hunter? You want to do one? You, you want to no. do one? No. no. Okay. <laughs> nope. You can't afford me. All right. That's my answer to that. You can't afford me. <laughs> HG Kool Aid asks, "What do you love about Twilight Imperium most? What's the most enjoyable part of the game?" for you i thought this was just a cute question to Ooh. get to sit here and and just think about ti a little bit what do you like the most hunter i like i like solving the puzzle mm -hmm. i like when i like when i can see i can see all of the little percentages uh, out like for like the next hour uh -huh. and then i watch as they as they play out mm -hmm. and my my kind of internal mental simulation is accurate to the events whether i win or lose what i don't like is when i realize like oh i missed this part when when oh, i do yeah. oh when gosh. i truly feel like the whole game is in my brain whether i win or lose i feel good um, yeah. about it yeah yeah that's good i uh my favorite aspect i think is well, uh, I think what originally hooked me to Twilight Imperium is more than anything else, the social nature. Like the, right. the Hunter and I have destroyed this thing by turning it into this online video game. Uh, but the the in person day, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody bring a dip for everybody. Uh, like tips. invest only dips, only dips, uh, dips no for chips. chips. Oh, no chips. Uh, <laughs> no chips. I, I, only dips. <laughs> dips and fingers hello <laughs> uh i i just i those are like kind of the best memories i've ever had of twilight imperium is the like just the goofy moments and the being willing to um sort of play suboptimally in favor for uh goofy things to happen i think learning this game is like the best part of it because there's so much in it right you can spend a a, a insane amount of time learning the game right i mean we have this podcast right. for six years where people continue you know we're all still sort of learning it um I, I would say even up until like the fourth year of the show i was like learning major new things right i think we still learn stuff all the time especially as like codices come out and new stuff happens but i think the biggest thing for me is that like exploration of the potential <laughs> of the game right. has always been really crazy and i think that's why i especially recently maybe the episodes have sounded like really thirsting for new content it's because that's what i want right i'm i love when there's like a new thing new about thing to it learn. to learn yeah. uh because because yeah. that always makes it such a dense rich experience when it's like i don't know what effect this has yet you know i i, I want to figure out if space dock 2 is any good or not it's time to sort of bounce around with it and see where we get 
Yeah, I don't know how Space Dock 2 could get good, but <laughs> it will be cool. I brought it up. I, I, I was streaming. I was doing a, well, not Space Dock 2. I don't know how to make Space Dock 2 good, but I'm, I'm thinking about Cabal. Right now I'm playing Cabal. Mm-hmm. And man, uh, Dimensional Terror 2, I know this is going to sound wild. Yeah, I don't it think is. it's that wild. Dimensional Terror 2 should have been plus one movement as well. Like oh. an additional plus one where okay. like Cabal doesn't care about blue tech at all. You don't have to think about it. You can go again. You can actually go hard unit upgrades and go for dimensional tear two and because all the dimensional tear two right now is increasing that capacity. Right. And it's like, I don't need to increase my fighter capacity and like barely increase my production capacity. These things I care about because they're on the board affecting my movement. Give me even more of that. Let me, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a disgusting chain. It's one thing for one dimensional tear to, to give you plus one, right? It's another thing when you go through all three of them and that gives you six movement. That's probably, that's probably a problem. <laughs> yeah. I got something for you though. Here's, here's, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to augment what you said. Yeah. So dimensional tear two, when you research it, you take the little, you know, those little tokens yeah. that you have for some reason right? Uh, in the game, even though like. I don't even know why you need those, but uh, <laughs> maybe actually, you know what? Maybe maybe it makes more sense if you had if you had six. Because yeah. what I'm saying is, dimensional tear two allows you to take your dimensional tear and double it. So so, but you're placing it in an adjacent system to where your dimensional oh, tears already are. Sure. So you get to turn a, a. You just get to be like that's a that's a grav rift. Yeah now. yeah um, yeah. Let's let's rework our assumptions of the game, and everyone can just know. Vulwraith Cabal is red. The red space docks are gravity rifts. We don't need a little thing. But now our right. dimensional terror tokens are to spread that out to somewhere else. I just love the idea of you research dimensional terror too, and now half half of everything is just yeah. grav rifts. I right. don't even know how that plays out, but I, it's just if you if you make it just an advantage for Cabal, yeah, uh, I feel like it's not as fun as if you were like, all right, now well, Mechatol Rex is a yeah. gravity rift. So and, what are you gonna do? And it makes uh, Crucible better, right? If there's even more spaces that aren't yep. spaces yep. I've occupied with units because my space dock is there and I have to protect it, the spot adjacent to it where I don't have any gum, that's also a gravity rift, but you certainly would like a Crucible there, wouldn't you? Like, it it, mm-hmm. it would boost everything that the, the Cabal kind of has has going for it. Yeah, I like that. Extend the range of yep. your of your uh, dimensional tear uh speed or whatever cool all right hey everybody you can also rate this podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to us give us a five star rating uh and tell us grow up and get a real job i wrote that down earlier as a thing uh or 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 give us a five star review and tell us if you think uh what the maximum amount of choking is uh, is applicable to your (laughs) average day just how much is okay that's really funny it's so funny and i didn't get to really drive it home enough but i i shan't this is a family show <laughs> yeah i almost got distracted i will say i don't know if i did a good job today because i think i got distracted by the bits a little bit and then was like oh yeah i have to show them how to play rampant green uh-huh. i'll say this if i messed up i don't care i'll yeah. just say that it's, how about well, this? based on the pre-errata it sounds like nobody else cares either rampant yeah, green nobody, plays itself no one gave me any pre-errata y'all gave me like zero thoughts i was just alone with my own thoughts if anything if i get a bunch of errata that I got like yeah. everything wrong and then I'm way off base. I'd be like, where were you? Where were you before though? That's not how this works. You have to help me on both ends yeah. of it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I need your help. Uh, but yeah, five stars, grow up, get a real job. Or like five stars, like where's the future in this? You know, like 
five stars like how are you gonna what's your life gonna be you ever think about like that this isn't really a career so like what's gonna happen when we get old five you know stars what I mean? what's this gonna look like on a resume you know yeah have you considered that even for a moment five stars aren't you afraid that you're cornering yourself a little bit and that you will have that if you have to rejoin the work market you the labor market you will have no applicable skills and it will look like you've done nothing for many years and so therefore you won't be hired by anyone and so therefore you won't make any money and your life will be over are you ever scared about the five stars are you ever scared about that are you ever scared that maybe there's no future in this and that you've dedicated so much time to it that you've been sort of tricked into just being nowhere in the future. Five stars. You ever think about that? Five stars. Are you scared? <laughs> Five stars. Do you fear for your future because you've sort of invented a path? But if you invent a path, there's no one traveling alongside it with you, is there? If it falls apart, there's nowhere to go. Five stars. You ever five, think about that? Five stars, it's Rainbow Road where you careen off into nothing. <laughs> there is no Lakitu to fish you out of the great nothing. Five stars. Thanks for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Brian Capellas for the wonderful music. You can find more at wanderinglake.bandcamp.com. Hello and welcome to your 2023 prelims report episode. What is this? Three? We've made it three? Does that mean we've surpassed the qualifier report for 2023? I think so. Game 11 is brought to us by the TI Junkies. The players were nine of spades as Nalu, Beard Biker as Argent, Wonder Flonium as L1, DJ38 as Barony, Moose Boy as Soul, and Aretane as Nomad. After a speedy draft, the game starts off with one spendy to have a flagship or war sun and one control units and three systems with no planets. Nalu sets up for a turn one, round two, custodians while Argent picks up a little heat from the table with their first tactical action for taking Semlore, the equidistant between there and Soul's Slice. Between this move, Nalu's previous SCP tournament win, and Nomad scoring two points, the table heat is mostly spread between these three factions. In round two, Nalu takes custodians as expected. We see a support swap between Nomad and L1, and with a combination of Rich World and the Nano Forge, Argent creates what is dubbed Mega Atlas, with seven resources and four influence and places a space dock with production nine on the planet after developing some border friction early game nomad and argent make a deal which includes the nomad alliance with help from a flank speed soul manages to take mechatol from nalu and score a bonus point off of imperial soul also places a pds on mechatol indicating their intention to hold up long term the nomad with four points maintains a slim lead over soul and l1 both at three in round three we see a support swap between argent and soul but argent loses it after sending units into the primor system to score make history making use of mega atlas argent's amount of plastic on the board makes the table a little uneasy, but Nalu's acquisition of Shard of the Throne sends Table Heat in their direction and puts eyes in their control over Hope's End. 
The round ends with L1, Nomad, and Soul all tied in the lead with five. Kicking off round four, Argent launches a surprise attack against Barony at Quan, adjacent to Barony's home system. With Soul still on Mechatol and an Imperial pick, the table starts to take stock of Soul's scoring potential. The responsibility to keep Soul in check ultimately falls on Nomad's shoulders, given their flagship fleet over the adjacent Evera system. Nomad lands a ceasefire swap with Argent to cover their flank, and they take Soul off Mechatol. Soul counterattacks, but with the most unfortunate roles, they end up losing a carrier and thus most of their invading infantry and are unable to retake Mechatol. As Nalu plays politics and takes the speaker token going into round 5, the table announces, We have a Nalu problem now? L1, Nomad, and Soul remain tied now at 7 as the first two-pointer, Spend 666, is revealed. In round 5, L1 and Nomad are identified as the biggest threats by the rest of the table. Nalu tries to figure out a way to pit them against each other, but L1 and Nomad have swapped supports. The other players remain paranoid of Nalu, citing their previous tournament win, an initiative order advantage, even after Nalu shows them their secret objective. Barony manages to get 9 during the round via Imperial, but ultimately, Nomad successfully fakes going for the secret ships in six systems, later scoring produce on mass for the win. Congratulations to Aretane as Nomad. Game 12 was brought to us by Jasper. This one started off wild as Cabal and Sar were talking forever war as early as round one, beating last week's record of round one agenda phase. Speaking of which, Sar's Mechatol take triggered another round one agenda phase. Muat thought the first agenda was boring, vetoed it, and so the table was treated to an early seed of an empire, which gave everyone at the table an extra point. Alarm bells started to ring even louder when Nasroka managed to find both Obsidian and Codex, while Sar got pushed off off Mechatol by Muat, but poor Muat subsequently got hit by an exploding Ixthian artifact that the Warsun faction would never recover from. Difficult control objectives. You know what you did, Matt, thanks Jasper, meant that we saw several flagships end up completely on the other side of the map, with first Mahawked and later Nasroka's Dominus Orb making great use of their faction's advantages. When only Nasroka had a theoretical path to victory, Mahawked used Benediction to get in for a home system takeover, but the Nasroka had parlay. Luckily for everyone else, they didn't have the right secret to end it in round four. Round 5 saw Cabal pay Sar to resolve Imperial Rider. Nasroka then had a sequence of great secret objective bluffs, which set the stage for Sar to almost sneak an action phase win off Imperial. The table prevented that, but in the process, Sar went to 9 points, putting them next to Nasroka on the scoreboard, and crucially, putting a target in range for Cabal scoring their last point with Sparker Rebellion. Kahao gets to the semifinals, but the entire table deserved a round of applause for a well-fought game. Game 13 is brought to us by ignoring my PhD. Every game of Twilight Imperium tells its own story, and all in their own way are special and unique. Some are a tale of slow-building tension as six players cagily seek an advantage. Some appear to be cruising before a big play changes everything at the last moment. And some, like Prelims Game 13, make total sense until six hours in, everybody seems to collectively lose their mind as Galactic Conquest is forgotten in favor of groups singing and the two players in the lead whacking out a chessboard and literally playing a game of chess while Space Rome burns. From the outset, this was a talky table, with Elspeth in particular adamantly maintaining that all pools in the draft be sufficiently balanced by ensuring that any powerhouse faction was accompanied by a wind-slaying counterpart. 
Incidentally, I believe this sets the record for the earliest mention of wind slaying as it turned up almost an hour before the first turn was played. But after 20 minutes of pool picking, this balancing act turned out to be a pipe dream as it was the clan of Sar lurking in the central box and only RNG picking a strong pool that kept the game from being a Sar runaway. Rushing through the rest of the draft, something the players themselves did not actually do, we end up with speaker as uh, Imsen as Nalu in Its Finger. Second pick is Bill Halaz as NRA in Ginger As She Goes. Third is Elspeth as Sar in Its Pronounced Celery. Fourth is Cosmo Sounder, the seventh player himself, as Yin in Doot Doot. Fifth is PF1 is Better as Titans in Gone Girl. And sixth is Alice as Necro in Big Lore Not 4. First two objectives flip and it's raise a fleet and found research outposts. The table groans, but upon inspection, it turns out Nalu has this on lock with two adjacent to home and no way for Necro to get to Semlor before Nalu can with the Nefish. This normally tough objective then becomes incredibly easy as every other explorer seems to be a tech skip, leaving Titans scoring it round one with Nazroka and Necro able to pick it up pretty easily later. Round one proceeds fairly typically from there, with the main talking points being Sar grabbing custodians, but not scoring a public while Nalu scores learn the secret of the cosmos to streak into an early lead. With play going pretty slowly, a few players are getting angsty about a potential tiebreaker finish when, hello there round one mutiny, Nalo is in the lead and first to vote, but somehow the table convinces Imsen that they won't screw him, so he votes four. And the table then proceeds to actually not screw him and everyone is happy! Well, except for poor old Alice as Necro. The big play from round two was Nalo giving Semlor to Necro along with some tasty tech and also swapping supports. This is followed by an unexpected action with Necro unlocking the Semlor fleet to then go grab Rex off of Imperial, leaving the table with a leading Nalu-Necro alliance leading the pack on five and six respectively. Round three was... Round three. So all I'll say is that somehow Nalu ends up with politics and gives the speaker to Necro, and the only thing stopping this looking like a two-horse race is that Sar has an excellent Imperial round and catches up, helped with well-drawn produce en masse after following construction and placing a second dock over Primor. The speaker token was a poison pill, however, as the sneaky snakes also had placed public execution on top, and with Necro leading on eight, Alice is dutifully beheaded, with the speaker heading to Nalu. Opening of round four, we have Nalu on six with Speaker, Nasroka on 5, Sar on 7, Poor Yin down at 3, Titans on 5, and Necro last to pick on 8. Oh, what's this? It looks like we have an opportunity for an interview with one player, reporter. <clears throat> oh, sorry, this is all. This is the whole thing. Hey, ignoring PhD, you showed up, didn't you? You showed up to party. Imsen, how would you describe round 4? The public execution in the agenda phase round 3 must be mentioned, of course. Then, Nalu passes on Imperial, taking leadership, hoping to stall the table into another round of actions. Sar has a path to victory that involves tricking other players into turn their fleets to dust and become a martyr. Necro could win the game with Warfare if nobody won before them, and they could score Unveil and another secret drawn from Imperial. Yin suicided the van into Necro Home and destroyed many ships, but this move was not followed up by a blockade of the Necro Home, revealing Sar's intentions not to stop Necro. Nalu was still pinned down by Nasroka, unable to move out of the slice. Nasroka goes to Mechatol, but is thrown off by the Yen hero, the chess game commences. Sar has his home taken through some deal and scores become a martyr. Check the details on this. I was playing chess. This is all still from Imsen's perspective. Nalu stalls the table out. Necro moves nine ground forces out of home and wins. Okay. Well, that definitely seems to sum it up pretty well. All I will add is that it's a bloody good job Imsen remembers because this reporter was too busy yelling about the fact that the queens were on the wrong color in the chess match to pay attention to the TI. Anyways, well done to Alice for an excellent checkmate. Queen to g6, placing the king in check, down the file, while the black bishop blocks off the retreat to the corner. 
Oh, and congrats on the something somethings from Necro. Uh, this is George ignoring my PhD and signing off for SCPT News. Back to you in the studio. <laughs> Thank you very much, George. Um, and congratulations to Alice's Necro. We'll have game 14 and 15 for you next week. And this week's game 16 is brought to you by Elspeth, a talkie draft. Hey, also, Elspeth played a game and then the next day uh, streamed a game. Uh, that's ridiculous. I, and I know other people. I know Big Al did the same. You streamers are, y'all are just too much. <clears throat> a talkie draft and round one meant that Arborek negotiated an engagement for a future support swap and alliance wedding with Titans. Two control objectives, edges and empties, sent players scrambling for points in negotiated spaces. In the end, Titans and Sar scored empties with Arborek, Sol, and Hakan scoring edges and Muat not scoring anything at all. Convoluted negotiations gave Arborek on trade up to 11 trade goods at a time, and Speaker was sold back to Sar, who were lined up well to take custodians. Titans and Arborek cemented their marriage with a support and alliance swap. Round 2 added another control objective, Intimidate Council, and Sar as Speaker on leadership took custodians as a way to make sure to stay ahead of the table. Trouble in Paradise quickly became evident when newlyweds Titans and Arborek squabbling over who would score which control objective in which order. Hakan on Imperial was looking to try and double score, a big challenge with all these control objectives. All players got back on track and scored public objectives, though Hakan on Imperial was unable to double score or get the Imperial point, much to their disappointment and potentially fear with a large Sarball in the nebula next to their home systems. Amass Wealth was the fourth public objective, provided some relief from the control objectives, but the relief was short-lived as anti-intellectual revolution passed, and then Ixthean Artifact popped up as the second agenda. Arborek and Sar convinced the table to vote against Ixthian Artifact, and this prelim was formally declared the worst prelim for failing to pass Ixthian Artifact. Arborek next to Speaker Titans bullied their spouse into taking politics, effectively maintaining Speaker control for that side of the table and himself, and taking Imperial. In round three, Arborek proceeded to extort Sol and Hakan trade goods, leading to an Arborek hero pop as an attempt to get a force capable of taking Rex for the guac point. A further extort of Sar attempted to get Rex willingly for the Imperial point, but resulted in only stubborn denial. Arborex cemented their villain status by continuing the extortion, attacking Rex, killing most of the Sar fleet, but failing to take the ground. Sar and Sol swapped supports, and Sol immediately proceeded to take the undefended potatoes of the Sar home system. Much to the annoyance of the newly married and now regretful Sar, a turbulent agenda phase resulted in Sol putting an Imperial writer on Minister of War, as well as confounding legal text face up on the table to get the agenda, the Imperial Rider, and drive the debate. The second agenda, Minister of Peace, got voted onto Titans with the help of Spouse Arborek, with Arborek then scoring Dictate Policy and coming into sole position of first place with seven points. QDN tempered the strategy card picks, with last place Muat on four points getting Imperial and not having it stolen. Round four started with less than two hours on the clock. Muat with Imperial took Rex and scored the Rex point and make history early in the round. Considerable amounts of stalling occurred, along with some squabbling for remaining control objectives, with all six players qualifying for make history. After Titans scored their long-searched-for crown tomb point, scoring left Muat and Titans on 9, Sar and Arborek on 8, and Sol and Hakan on 7. After revealing a second, meaningless agenda that was vetoed, 
revealing the also relatively useless Minister of Commerce, a political writer on Hakan, caused 10 minutes of deliberation, leading to the writer not passing and the round 5 strategy phase starting with 21 minutes left on the clock. By the time the strat cards were picked, there were 8 minutes left on the clock after extensive negotiations and QDN not being used. Muad on politics had a clear win with a mass wealth on the 3 and retreated most of their fleet to their home system to wait out the round. Sar positioned a substantial fleet to slay them while Sol prepped to slay the Titans on the 2. Titans, upset that Sol, largely out of contention at this point, was involved in Windslaying, chose to destroy Sar's fleet in an attempt to make the other players give up on slaying because it would likely ensure that no one on higher initiative than 3 could win. The give up gambit failed immediately with Hakan and the rest of the table slaying Titans immediately in retaliation for ruining the Muat slay. Sol and Sar worked together to attempt to slay the rest of the table and try to force a tiebreaker since Sar was otherwise out of contention. After much collaboration, Sol was able to use their hero to roll a substantial fleet into the Muat home system to slay them successfully, and then also was able to slay Hakan off the two-pointer and prevent their win on the one. Arborek, at length, told Sol he was trying for last to pass and a relic point, and tried to draw out promises to not take shard if he drew it in exchange for not sealing a soul fighter in an empty system that was needed for the soul win. He drew obsidian, then used impersonation, but still didn't find a second scorable secret. When Sol came for their last empty, Arborek broke at least the spirit of the non-binding from the Gambit promise with Sol and played experimental battle station to kill the ship. He then stalled, proved endurance, and went to nine. The game went to agenda phase with everyone at nine points. Swords of Plowshares put some extra money into everyone's pockets ahead of the clown fiesta. The first tiebreaker, develop weaponry, eliminated all but Sol and Hakan, and the second, diversify research, crowned the victory. Tech made all the difference in the end. Congrats to Sergeant Buck for their 12-hour, six-way Clown Fiesta victory as Hakan in K. Aldry. Thank you all to the competitors in last weekend's games, and a very special thank you to all of the streamers, and especially everyone who provided these reports for all of us to enjoy in the show. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.